0: Tune in to the Neil Prendiville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM.
1: Coming up on 7 minutes past 9. Uh, good morning, this is Mick Mulcahy. Look at the morning papers and uh, we're kicking off with the weather. Matt Aaron says the hottest days of the year are in store for this weekend. As we have been predicting, a little bit of a mixed bag up to the weekend. And then it's going to get really, really nice. Ireland is set to have its warmest weekend of the year. This Saturday and Sunday. With temperatures to reach 20 degrees Celsius, Met Aaron has forecast... This uh, week, there will be a mix of sunny spells and showers with temperatures to fluctuate in the mid-teens before temperatures spike to 19 degrees on Friday and then breach 20 degrees Celsius for the weekend in what's likely to be the hottest days of the year so far. Today, as we mentioned, though, sunny spells and scattered showers are forecast. Friday is going to have a cloudy start itself. Uh, so in a couple of days, you can expect scattered showers to kick off what's going to be a lovely weekend, uh, mainly in the west and north and gradually brightening up across the country and in Munster with uh, major sunny spells developing. It's more than welcome. Now, let's go to the front of the mail. Alarm at the flight from Health. Donnelly faces renewed pressure as a third top health official quits. There are growing concerns over Health Minister Stephen Donnelly's grip on his department following the resignation of Deputy Chief Medical Officer Dr. Ronan Glynn. He is the third top-level official to walk away from the department in a matter of weeks, following Chief Medical Officer Dr. Tony Holohan's retirement, which is set for July 1st. He may stay on a bit longer, I believe, uh, from reports today. Dr. Glynn's departure, though, to consultancy group EY, uh, coming so quickly after Dr. Holohan's exit, has been called extremely damaging, while a member of the Euroctus Health Committee has called for a cooling-off period for civil servants before they join the private sector. May not be a bad idea at all. Uh, continuing with the, the other papers today and on the front of the uh, Irish Independent, brain-drain fear as Glynn quits but Holohan to stay on longer. Deputy CMO leaves amid relentless negativity directed at health officials. Ronan Glynn has resigned as Deputy Chief Medical Officer uh, amid claims from colleagues that pressures facing senior civil servants in the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic, are contributing to a public service brain drain. He's going to quit the Department of Health at the end of the month to take up a senior advisory role with EY uh, for a high six-figure salary later this year. Uh, the shock move is likely to lead to the Chief Medical Officer Tony Holland due to retire from the Civil Service on the 1st of July, prolonging his stay in the Department of Health. Multiple sources claim Dr. Glynn's exit was in part motivated by what one termed as the relentless unending negativity directed at senior figures in the Department of Health. And I'm sure Mr. Donnelly will uh, be facing the media later because he's going uh, before committee today, isn't he? To do, uh, discuss the uh, Uh, St. Vincent's and the the land there and the uh, National Maternity Hospital. Dr. Go says the Mirror Ronan personifies the very best of the Irish public service uh, and a spokesman for the department said he's resigned as Deputy Chief Medical Officer, effective May 31. Mom stabbed 12 times is on the front of the mirror. There's a Garda hunt on uh, for a killer after Lisa, 51, was found at her home. Detectives are hunting a killer who stabbed a mother of two up to 12 times in a frenzied murder yesterday. Lisa Thompson was discovered at her home in Ballymun, North Dublin, at around 3.30pm. Stunned locals told how the 51-year-old was a lovely woman and a great mother to her son, uh, 13, and her 12-year-old daughter. One neighbour said she was a lovely girl, she worked with kids, she loved her kids, she loved her life. Three million for the victim of Malta crash, a drunk driver hit a Cork man in Malta. On the front of the Echo, Anno Lachlan reporting that a Cork pensioner who was knocked down by a drunk driver while on a dream holiday to Malta and suffered catastrophic injuries, has settled a high court action for €3.1 million. Euro. David Cooley, now severely disabled and having to use a wheelchair, has not been able to live at home since that night in Malta three years ago, when the car struck him as he walked back to his hotel with his wife and friends. Solicitor Daniel Wall said the four coasts criticised the way the case was handled by the Maltese authorities and alleged the driver was five times Uh, the drink driving limit when arrested. Uh, The Mirror has a woman accused of murdering a two-year-old girl told Gardy all of the evidence seemed to point uh, to her having committed the crime, writes Olivia Kelleher uh, in the Mirror. The jury at the trial of Karen Harrington, who denies she killed Santina Cauley on July 5th, 2009, viewed the recording of an interview with the accused. I'm going to speak to Barry Roach on that uh, in a couple of minutes' time. In any case, state to assist builders hit by rising costs. €160 million has been allocated uh, and could be paid to developers working on public projects such as roads and healthcare facilities. Elaine Lachlan, the deputy political editor in The Examiner, writes that the government will pay builders working on public construction projects an extra... 160 million euro to avoid schemes stalling due to soaring inflation. The money could be paid to contractors working on roads, healthcare facilities, schools and other key infrastructure this year. Contractors will be paid up to 70% of inflation-related construction costs in an open-ended cooperation framework signed off by Cabinet. Michael McGrath, the public expenditure minister, said the measures were necessary and proportionate to ensuring public projects remain viable and are delivered on time. The Irish Times uh, front page has uh, seriously ill patients face 13 hour wait. Emergency department waiting uh, for first quarter of 2022 is the worst on record. Seriously ill patients have to wait an average of almost 13 hours before they are admitted to hospital, according to new figures that reveal the extent of worsening emergency department delays. Emergency department waits in the first quarter of this year were the worst on record. 40% of patients nationally having to wait uh, 12 hours or more to be dealt with. Back to the Echo, who said that 284 arrests made for driving while intoxicated have taken place so far this year. There have been 284 arrests for driving under the influence in Cork City and County for the opening months of this year. The figures were released at a recent meeting of the Joint Policing Committee, the JPC, attended by Gardaí, public representatives and council executives. Chief uh, Super. Uh, intent and con cadigan detailed figures relating to a period from January 1st to May 9th, uh, for the same time frame in 2021. Comparisons were made. An ex- espresso, uh, kick may also raise cholesterol levels. Uh, drinkers gender. Plus, the brewing method may be the key to potential side effects, the study finds. If you love your morning coffee, coffee, then three to five daily cups significantly associated with increased cholesterol. The espresso may be the way to experience a stronger aroma and more intense taste from coffee, but it could also be the main cause of elevated cholesterol from consuming the drink According to Norwegian scientists, the sex of the drinker, the gender, as well as the brewing method, their study also concludes, may be contributing to coffee's significant downside in raising cholesterol levels, a known risk factor for heart disease. The male has Brogue Traders Fashion House offered battered shoes for €1,500. Trying to keep new shoes clean can be a stressful task, of course, but fashion house Balenciaga appears to have come up with an interesting solution, selling trainers that look like they've been ruined already. Uh, these look like they've gone under uh, a steamroller and are filthy, uh, and they're selling for €1,500. Euro. You never know, do a couple more. The Examiner has uh, EA and FIFA are ending their 30 year video game partnership. Uh, the world famous football video game FIFA uh, is to go by a new name uh, 2023. It comes as the video uh, maker electronic arts or EA and FIFA, the world uh, global footballing body, have ended their Agreement And a story we covered last week, so by the way, Apple are also discontinuing their uh, iPod. They're going to sell the uh, remaining stock, uh, but not produce it anymore. Finally, in the papers, uh, and a story we covered extensively last week, in a man we interviewed, Bill Piper, uh, sitting on the steps of his traditional showman caravan. Kinsale will fight for historic Piper's wagon. John Bohan reporting in The Echo that the decision by Cork County Council to remove Piper's show showman's wagon from Short Key and Kinsale has led to much anger from locals in the town. A petition calling on the council to reverse their decision was initiated in recent days by Mark Rian, the local Green Party representative, and has garnered more than 1,000 signatures. Mr Rian said, people see Piper's traditional show caravan as synonymous with Kinsale. People are really irritated and incensed. Everybody's kids went to the fun fair. They are part of our cultural and social heritage, he said. It's a quarter past nine.
0: The Neil Prendeville Show, Cork's number one talk show Pure Cork. on Red FM.
1: And a very good morning to uh, Irish Times Southern correspondent Barry Roach, who joins us in line two. Uh, good morning, Barry. We dip in again as we do and probably will again with Neil on Monday to the continuing uh, case and the attendance there. And uh, let me start with uh, a quotation. I don't know what happened. I've no recollection of what happened. I wouldn't harm a child I wouldn't like, uh, said Miss Harrington of Lakelands Crescent in Mahan who denies the murder of Santina Cawley at Elderwood Park, Boreen Manor Road uh, on July 5th. A lot lot of water under the bridge, Barry, since we last spoke.
2: Indeed, Mick, we were talking Thursday morning and Thursday, I suppose, was an important day afterwards in the the, the case, as was Friday and Monday and yesterday. But just to recap briefly, on on Thursday um, we heard are the jury of seven men and four women before Mr Justice Michael McGrath at the Central Criminal Court here in Cork? In the case of Karen Harrington, who denies the murder of Santina Colley at uh, the Elderwood Complex on Boring Manor Road on the 5th of July 2019, the jury heard evidence from Dr. Shabale Waldron, and she's attached to the Forensic Science Ireland Laboratory in Dublin, and she said that she examined a pair of leggings that were given to her by Gardy from the Scenes of Crime, and there were a number of blood stains on one leg, and four of these blood stains were found to contain DNA which matched that of Karen Harrington, and the fifth blood stain Contained DNA which matched that of Santina Colley, so obviously the, uh, Santina Colley's blood ended up on those leggings. Those leggings belonged to Karen Harrington. We also heard from um, from Dr. Walden that she found some uh, clumps of hair, uh, and they were found, uh, I think, on a, on a sofa. And another forensic scientist, Dr. Jennifer Ryan, said, she, the, "Sorry, the Dr. Walden said that." Hair matched the DNA profile of Santina Cauley, so it was Santina Cauley's hair. And Dr. Jennifer Ryan, another forensic scientist, said then that uh, the way she analysed the strands of hair and she found that they contained the root of the hair in each case, which was, she said, characteristic of forcible removal. Both clumps of hair were pulled from the head. The jury also heard from the Detective Guarder Stephen Denny. He's attached to the Cork Scenes of Crime Unit and he outlined to the jury that Santina had sustained 49 separate external injuries and four further internal injuries when she was found by her father Michael Cawley uh, sometime after 5am on the morning of the 5th. And as well as that then I suppose the other dramatic I suppose um, evidence was that he he did Guard Miles More, the exhibits officer handed uh, him some exhibits including uh, a pink sequin t-shirt and a pair of pink leggings that belonged to Santina and he held them up and really it was you know, just the size of them, it really brought home the fact that this was a two-year-old. Actually, the clothing, I think, was, um, he said, for a toddler aged between 12 months and 18 months. Santina, I think, actually would have turned... It was her birthday on Friday, so she was she was two 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 years and two months at the time of her death, but she'd have been five and on on, on, on Friday had she lived, but uh, just hold it up because it, it was a very poignant moment because it just really showed what a might she was, you know um, I'll just move forward then uh, to that was that was Thursday that, that was Thursday, yeah, um, on Friday. then uh, we heard evidence from the our Sergeant Michelle O'Leary, she was on the first guards on the scene as well and she actually asked Karen Harrington after Karen Harrington came back to the Elderwood around 6am she asked her to accompany her to the bridewell in a voluntary capacity and she did and Sergeant uh, Larry said Karen Harrington told her she'd been drinking at the apartment for her friend Martina Higgins uh, uh, when Michael Colley arrived with Santina and and uh, they retur- she returned to her own apartment on her own fell asleep in the couch only to be walking Michael Colley coming back with Santina we heard previously that was around 3 o'clock and he put a blanket on the floor uh, she fell asleep then she told Sergeant O'Leary uh, she said they had an argument which she described as couple stuff and then Michael Colley left and she thought he was going back to Miss Higgins' apartment to get a phone as we know he went to her own Cork City looking for his cousin whom he was trying to contact. Uh, she fell asleep and the next thing she recalled was Michael Colley shouting at her, Karen, what happened to my child? So that's uh, Karen Harrington telling Sergeant O'Leary, not a ca- it was cautioned, but it was an in involuntary capacity that she woke up at five to discover Michael Cawley asking her what had happened. Uh, we also heard on Friday from uh, Sergeant Brian Murray, He was a detective at the time. He's now a sergeant. He was at the scene and he met Michael Cawley, uh, who was highly distressed, he said, or highly emotional. This is at about 6 a.m. And he was asking him, was Santina alive or Santina dead? Santina had been taken by ambulance at that stage at CUH. He actually walked with Michael Cauley from Borry Manorow to CUH, tried to support him as best he could, he said. Uh, On numerous occasions, he wanted to know, was was Santina alive or dead? I was trying to support him as best I could. He was extremely emotional. And then when they arrived at the hospital, he was present when uh, Michael Cawley got the the tragic news that um, Peron 920 that uh, Santina passed away. Moving forward to Friday, sorry, there was on Saturday then as well, um, or sorry, Friday as well, my apologies, uh, we heard some evidence from uh, that Santina told Gardy. Not Santina, no. Sorry, not Santina, my apologies. Cardin told Gardy. That she was the only person in the department when, for a certain period of the night after Michael Colley had left. So Thursday and
1: Friday really establishing a timeline?
2: Timeline, very much so. We moved to, 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 um, to, to, to Monday and we heard what, well it's been a distressing case from the start, but... Arguably, perhaps the most distressing evidence, which was from Assistant State Pathologist Dr. Margo Bolster, and she catalogued uh, the injuries that she found when she examined Santina at uh, post mortem. We heard Santina was 47 centimetres high, which is about 18 inches, and she was 10 kilograms. Just, uh, just to
1: give you a little break, Barry, let me uh, let me quote from uh, what's printed in the press. Um, Dr. Bolster said, uh, "These are not accidental, but are forcefully inflicted injuries." Uh, After cataloging a long list of injuries sustained by Santina, including complex fractures to her skull with displacement of bone, two fractured ribs and fractures to her right arm and end of her left thigh. Uh, Dr. Bolster also listed extensive bruising, including to Santina's forehead, side of the face, lower jaw, as well as upper right arm, lower left arm, hands and feet, while she also found a tear to the philtrum or piece of flesh between the upper lip and gum. Uh, usually associated with a blow to the mouth, and Dr. Bolster also gave evidence of bleeding uh, up to one centimetre deep under Santina's scalp, including under the various parts of the skull, including the dura and the arachnoid, uh, where there was also bleeding into the child's spinal cord for the full length of the spinal cord.
2: Yes, uh, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's distressing evidence for listeners, but Brendan Graham, Defence counsel, cross her then, and... Uh, he asked if Santina would have stopped crying after suffering the head injuries and Dr. Bolzer said yes, she would have fallen into a coma as soon as she suffered the extensive head and brain injuries and uh, therefore would have stopped crying immediately. He also, or she also told uh, Mr. Wren, Dr. did that Santina could only have suffered the few injuries to the brain, nerve fibers in her brain from her head being struck against the surface or struck with some object and given there was no external injury it looked to her as if her head was struck against a flat surface and she reiterated that she was absolutely certain that the injuries were not accidental due both to their multiplicity and the fact that they were all over Santina's body and she said she was satisfied that they were forcefully inflicted rather than caused by any accidental fall which of course is, is central to the state's case that uh, Santina was murdered and her injuries were not result of any accident. Um, we also heard then or yesterday and uh, sorry yesterday and, and monday we saw we heard transcripts of karen harrington's memo of interview with gardee and yesterday we saw a video recording of the last memo of interview and in that uh garda, detective garda dave noonan and detective garda brian marath the man who accompanied uh, michael collie to cuh they were questioning her on the fourth and fifth interview with- uh, she said, I did not murder Santina Colley, I did not, I would not harm a child let alone murder a child uh, she said to, in the transcript of the interview that uh, she had no recollection of what happened but again she reiterated that she couldn't she, she just had been her own children all her life and has never hurt anyone, uh, I didn't murder anybody she said um, but she did concede that the evidence as they were presented to her, uh, photographs of the scenes of the crime was all coming towards me and she admitted that she was in the apartment, but said she had no recollection of what happened to the toddler. She admitted that she was the only one in the apartment with Santina after Michael Cauley left. We heard Michael Cauley came back sometime after 3 a.m. with Santina.
1: In, interesting row. developments on, on, on the timeline as well, because yeah, uh, it emerged Mr. Colley spent just over four minutes.
2: Four minutes in there, there the before apartment. they had this argument and left. And then when he came back and discovered Santina in response to that, uh, just after five, he, was, he went in came out and shouted for help. He was only in the apartment for 49 seconds on that occasion. Obviously Gardy had been able to establish this because of CCTV cameras in the area showing him going in, showing him going out. But she as I say, Karen Harrington said to Gardy in an interview that she was the only one in the apartment with Santina after Michael Colley left. And she agreed Santina was alive when Michael Colley left but she insisted she had no idea what happened to the child that led to her sustaining the injuries. She admitted roaring and screaming and opening and slamming the door three times which led to a neighbour Dylan Onley whom we spoke with last week. He calling the Gardie and uh, she did Dylan only said that he'd heard Karen Herring taunting Santina but she didn't uh, she denied that she taunted the child uh, she admitted that the evidence against her did add up but again she denied her, hurting or harming the child Everything I said to you is what I remember. I'm in the front room, I wake up, I have an argument with Michael, and then Michael goes out and puts, I put Santina down and I fall asleep. And when I wake up again, San- Michael is standing in front of me with the child. She said, I never in my life harm no one, let alone a child. I would never harm a baby. I've been around children all my life. But then again, she accepted that all the evidence is on me. It's looking like me. Uh, she was put to her yesterday. We saw the video recording, which was very emotional, highly charged, um, interview where Karen Harrington broke down several times during the course of, it was about 90 minutes or so the interview, and she broke down several times uh, uh, fell sick at occasion Uh, but she said, I don't know what happened, I have no recollection of what happened, I wouldn't harm a child, I wouldn't like, but uh, at the end, Detective and well not at the end, but one stage in Detective Carter said to her what was the evidence, all the evidence and scene saying about what happened that night, and Karen Arnton replied, this all says to me that I went mad, this is all looking like me, the evidence is all on me. But again she denies harming Santina or uh, causing her, or killing her. So the other aspect I suppose that was interesting yesterday was when she was asked about Santina's blood on the uh, pyjama bottoms that were found there. Uh, she denied changing, she was seen wearing these by witness uh, if McAuley, when she called her sometime after three in the morning, over the the row or over the noise, uh, but she wasn't wearing them when she came back to the apartment at six o'clock. She was wearing a different pair, so she said she had no recollection of changing the pajamas, and she said she couldn't. She had no explanation as to how Santina's blood could be on them. Her own blood, she was said, was on them because she'd cut her, broken a glass and cut her foot in the kitchen area. But she said, I have no answers as to why Santina's blood was on those leggings. Uh, to her." Uh-huh. Sure. So that's more or less brought us to this morning. Uh, we'll have, I think, more prosecution witnesses today. And I gather that the prosecution case uh, may, may, you know, we're, we're nearing the end of that. At
1: this yeah. Point. Detective Garda David Noonan stopped her at one stage and noticed she was smiling apparently at one of his questions and asked her why.
2: Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty. Uh, f- uh, f- I suppose um, pretty. Um, he said, Santina can't smile. Santina is dead, and I wouldn't imagine her family are smiling at the moment. Uh, and Santina and her family deserve an explanation for what happened. Uh, and all they want is a reasonable explanation. And. Uh, Karen Harrington said, "I'd love to be able to give them one, if I could, but she had no recollection of what happened." And again, she stressed that she would never harm a child, would never uh, hurt a child, has never had. And Inspector David Callan, who's been superv- who was supervising the, the interviews, he was asked uh, by Brendan Ryan's defence counsel if uh, Karen Harrington had any history of violence, and he said, "No, she had no history at all." And uh, he said, while she conceded the evidence was pointing to her, she actually didn't budge in her position from start to finish through so the five interviews with Gardy that she'd caused uh, or killed Santina. She, he said that she she denied that and denied that she would hurt the child and that was her consistent position throughout the interviews. As I say, a very emotional day yesterday for, for everybody. Uh, Karen Harrington watching her own interview, uh, the jury, uh, everybody, the family, Michael Colley and, and all of there, and, uh, you know, it was ninety. I'd say we saw about an hour maybe of that 90-minute interview, and it's, 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 I wouldn't say it's a highly charged environment, but it's, it's an emotional environment in Gronabara Garda station when they're interviewing her, and they're showing her photographs, their photographs on the wall of, from the crime scene, and photographs of some of um, Santina's clothes and so forth, so it was
1: a difficult day for everybody. Yesterday. Mm-hmm. And difficult to report on live and radio as well, so I appreciate that again, Barry. It's going to run about another week, I think?
2: We would expect that will go into early next week. I would think. Yeah, at this stage, we're we're not sure yet what the defence who they're going to call. But uh, in uh, the defence and prosecution summing up their cases, and the judge has charged the jury, and the judge has indicated that to the jury that he, he has to leave early on Friday. So that would indicate that we're going to go into Monday uh, and maybe Tuesday, and maybe I don't know, into next week certainly at any rate. Mm-hmm.
1: Barry, right, thanks again for the very forthright and uh, very detailed. Uh, it's a very delicate subject, of course, it being subdued to say, and we have to handle it with the utmost of care. Uh, so I, th- I thank you for being so ex- exact and accurate uh, in your reporting there. Barry wrote Southern, correspondent with the Irish Times.
0: Thank you. Good morning. Well, good sleep. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106. Red FM.
1: 27 minutes to 10, and good morning to Kieran Gould. Morning, Kieran on, mate? Very good. Now, you're a coal merchant, and uh, something you said caught our attention. You are competing now and not just pricing and delivery from the north of Ireland, but uh, with local charities like St. Vincent de Paul.
3: Yes, yes, Mick. Uh, St. Vincent de Paul, they're giving out free coal to people that need it. They badly need it. Like, we're not, we're not complaining about that at all. But what's happening is, there's all the coal merchants coming in and giving the coal to my customers. And we say they get two bags a month or whatever. Like, I'm not disputing that or anything like But they, they'll come back to me then for the other two weeks, like, you know, they're, they're buying off me then. But in Blairney, the uh, um, people in Blairney are paying Savings to pay say, a pile five euros. No, they get getting free in Blowney, and up in the north sea, they have to pay a fiver for delivery. Okay. So I will say we can compete with that giving out free coal. We have people then coming out of the north, right? You can follow up the north now, Mick, and order coal, and the genuine fellows will take your take the v, take a visa card over the phone. Right. They're the genuine coal merchants above the north, and they deliver one ton of... See, see there's two vats in the north, uh, Mick. There's 5% vats, 1 to 25 bags. And then if you get 26 bags, it's 20% fat. So what they do, they sell you a ton of time, charge a 5% fat. So the genuine fellas will give your name to revenue up in the north. Mick Mulcahy got 25 bags of coal, at 5% fat, your address. They send it down south then, the revenue down the south. But with this carbon tax now and uh, the Brexit, the revenue then will come chasing you for the rest of the money, carbon tax. And the vat.
1: Okay, which could be oh. how much if you bought a ton of coal? How much would it be coming down from the north?
3: Go down from the north with uh, with five percent, five percent fast charging about eighteen euros a bag delivered to your door. Okay, right. I'm delivering the bag now for thirty euros a bag. Thirty? It's gone up that much, is it? Yeah. So then you have you have the, um, the smugglers. Then those people smuggling in the coal down from the north. Then right. So, you are the call. Another crowd. You are the call, and you're getting the call. And they won't take the money off the phone. They take it and on delivery. Okay, so, so it's ca- cash on delivery. You, cash on delivery. They are charging new name. I would say twenty twenty one euros a bag. So wow. Okay. So they're, they're, no,
1: there's a grey and a black market here.
3: Yeah, and then I'm i I'm, I'm I'm buying coal here. Then right, I can get. Like if, if it was me in the morning, right, and I wanted to call nothing, I'd probably more likely do it that way as well. Get the call down, pay cash and deliver like so. saw. Do you know what I mean? I'd More likely, I would do it. like. But the carbon tax is killing is killing us because the carbon tax is over €5 Euros a bag and 20% vat at the top of the bag of coal. Wow. Okay.
1: So, so it, it would be closer to 20 a bag without the, the carbon tax and the vat.
3: It'd be give it yeah it'd be uh, yeah it'd be uh, twenty two euros a bag. Twenty two euros a bag. Okay, a
1: bag. Of course, it, it's it's all down to in in the next few years probably uh, the death of the coal delivery industry anyway, isn't
3: it? it's, it's nearly gone at the moment because we can't compete. Obviously, file are giving no coal free. We can't That we can't, we have to buy it. The buy's coming no, out or not, and uh, it's. Black market, I get, in, I get in four cards every day, but I buy coal cash in hand. I couldn't, because, see, what's happening, there's a hop in the bag, then, like, you know I mean? um, if they, If I bring this coal into my yard, and revenue come in, and they see Northern Ireland coal, I'm going to be done caught straight away, like, you know what I mean? But the, the bags that we have, they, you know, there's a hop on it, and the carbon tax is paid before it comes into the yard.
1: I see, okay. But then right, you have to so pass, pass that on to the customer, of course.
3: Pass that to the customers, but what's happening now, you see, are, you don't blame people they have enough of it and they're buying the coal directly from the north themselves and they're bringing it in so the fellow up in Belfast can deliver the coal cheaper than what they can do here like you know what I mean but the the government are putting us over the job with the with the the carbon taxes yeah but, but even transport all the way from the north it can be done cheaper than you cheaper, can do it locally cheaper. yeah what they do they we see it's twenty eight tons, thirty tons on the truck, so they get thirty customers and they go around in and they drop them off uh, twenty-five bags in each house and get cash and bring it back off the bar of them, like I'm mean, just people don't south here, going up the north and buying it with their own affix and and deliver it here as well. Okay. So there's just a lot of smuggling going on between the north and the south, like so the the government it's the government that are doing it, like. They're they're putting on all the taxes. And the buyers then see, fuck it, there's money to be made here. They could make, make uh, $5,000 in Africa coming down from the north. Like, one trip down the cock and back up. Five grand cash in the hand, nobody asking questions.
1: Once once the coal is delivered,
3: is it? De- delivered and they're going back up the uh, with the cash in their pocket.
1: Yeah, I was reading in the Irish Examiner during the week that the average f- household is facing an increase of, I think it's 330 euros a year on their shopping bill just for food due to infras- inflationary hikes. Of course we know... Uh, that um all of the fuel prices because of the conflict in ukraine uh they're astronomical right now, so everything that's being delivered uh is subject to increased costs
3: yeah well, it's, but we, we, uh, uh, Mick, I was buying coal about eight nine years ago for six and a half thousand in africa right no i' no I'm paying over eighteen thousand for the africa wow okay uh so that... but that the government they're getting five fifty. By 56 euros, I'm sure it's around that anyway, carbon tax, and it's going up a euro every year for the next 10 years. The Greens have to bring this in. So, my my business is down, I say, 50-60% since last year.
1: Wow, so are you going to diversify, or how are you going to survive?
3: I tell you, all no, be quite honest, though, no, the Greens are saying they're banning tough. I bought tough in half a fill of Philadelphia, and I think it's the only way to go. I'd be selling tough, and the Greens won't be stopping me. They did come out and stop me. Do you know what I mean? I'll be selling tough. I bought see p- p- people know what's it's why but the heat the house the tough and blocks I said uh, the coal is getting too there so it, it could be going to blocks and tough. ok so let, let's
1: explore what's, what's the price difference like the blocks you, you can get big bags of blocks but they don't last as long as coal obviously
3: yeah, no, no, the tough there now uh, Mick I got, I got good tough in the office, fella, Like what I'm doing there now it's 6 euros a bag or 12 bags for uh, for 60 euros that's a five of the bag so you're saying six bags of tough is equal to one bag of coal.
1: Okay, well that that's the difference. I, that that, that, that would probably last as long, would it?
3: Yeah, well I, I tell you, and there's there's good weight in the bags. I said there's 20, 25 kgs in the bag. So you have a forty kg bag of coal, it's 30 euros. It says six bags of these are hundred and fifty kgs of tough. Right. You know, and there was a few people got it off me, they're and they're happy they came back from war like they thought it was good tough. Like, you yeah, know, but
1: here, here here's here here's the, the the kind of crazy thing, right? Uh, we're getting this carbon tax, which is five or six euros on, on each bag of coal. That, that's making coal less attractive for you to sell and for others to buy. So you move into an area where it's more attractive financially for you to sell turf. Now, turf hope, yeah. is more to blame than coal for air pollution, uh, especially in yeah. Dublin according to a report by the Royal uh, College of Surgeons. Let let me quote from that report. The research we did showed about a 9% increase in stroke admissions linked to days of poor air quality. Uh, It is significant. Life or death situation. Major public health issue that has been ignored. This is the air pollution in Dublin, and turf is more to blame for that than coal. So there's your carbon tax pushing people towards putting more carbon in the air. Yeah,
3: yeah. I I, I think about it here, I do the, the, the smokeless coal, right? Nobody knows what they're putting into the smokeless coal. They, like, you're one fellas, you're coming to, to make quick money. They could be putting a lot of uh, uh, harmful stuff into smokeless coal. You don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, the, the smokeless, some of it there to be smell off of some of the smokeless coal there when they're bombing it there. You can say, Matter of fact, it's inside that light, you know? Yeah. You do, you don't know what's decided now. A fella said to me this stuff coming out the ground is here but what they're making, the smoker is called, you know.
1: Well the completely crazy thing, uh, and there's documentary evidence on this, is is when uh, when briquettes are banned, uh to, to be importing them on a fuel guzzling truck two thousand kilometres from Germany, uh, seems ridiculous altogether.
3: Yeah, I I, I briquettes in there now from Germany, right? But uh, <laughs> this is like they are sending briquettes in, right? In in here. Oh, waste, you know, your black wheelie bin, I know another is different thing, your black wheelie bin goes off the Germany to be burnt of your waste. Really? Yes, oh, stuff, yes, you go down by the docks, I, I don't know, I know, it's a you no, or anything like that, I walked in the waste for years, right, They be, you know, the hair, big hair bales there, they would be more half a ton of, there The be your own ones, right, go down by the docks, you think they're hair bales, they're waste to go to Germany to be bumped. Wow. So, so that, that's being
1: incinerated in Germany.
3: So Yeah, it's a board going on. it does all the trucks are coming down. It, it goes back I walk I walked to the waste company. It goes back to uh being bailed, bring down to the docks, shipped off to Germany and thrown into the fire. Wow. And so, then they'll bring it. we can bomb brickets and they'll send it off to us we burn it. we send our waste off to them and they'll bomb us.
1: I, I was driving past. Uh, with, so I forget who was in the car. But driving past the new development in Carrigaline by the Shannon Park Roundabout, uh, the beautiful yellow brick uh, development there, uh, and it seems to be just about finished now. And 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 somebody pointed out to me, "Have, have you noticed anything about the houses?" And I said, "They're nice. They're lovely. They're very well proportioned." And uh, he said, "There's no chimneys, Mick." I looked. Well, oh, oh, I, there's like... no chimneys.
3: No, no. I, I, and what's happening then as well? What's, everything's against us? What's happening then? We say the council is like mean someone died in the there on the man the council wander, like, and they're taking it back. No, they? they're taking all, all the files and they're upgrading all the houses to air to water, like, you know. So they've be no fires then in the houses. Okay, so you, you do so, accept you you you're, you're in a dying business. I'm like the Titanic, I'm going down. I'm <laughs> <laughs> going down. I, will, will, will your man, yeah, I'm yeah, a give me compensation, you know. He's looking after every Tom Dick and Harry. What about the coal fellas? No, they're going to be out of the job. What are they going to do for the, the coal people, like? Yeah, and diversify, like, I guess,
1: I, is what he'll say. Find another business.
3: But yeah, but, okay, it's probably hard. No, but I, well, I'm glad I can go driving trucks now. I have a truck license still, like, you know what I mean? But yeah. those fellas, they're they're working the coal all the life, they know nothing else.
1: Yeah, hi, Mick. We've ordered coal a few times from the north, and it's way cheaper. We didn't pay any extra tax down here. We've ordered a ton each time. I think it worked out about fifteen, twenty per bag. Might be a little more by now. They, yeah, prob- yeah, they yeah. probably will pay that tax, will they?
3: Well, see if if you have the if you buy it off the genuine, passing above in the north, so good uh, good crowd up in the north, right? They get caught to pay the tax because. They have to explain who they sold the call at five percent fast and twenty percent back, the two batches to see. Yeah. So okay. they pull up Mick Mulcahy got twenty-five bags at five percent, they have to give that the revenue that they, you, they sold you at five percent fast because there's fifteen percent back missing if they don't, you know? Sure, yeah. Okay. So what they do the then they press uh, they give the revenue and revenue press the button up in the north and press it down here. So they know your houses have to get that out.
1: Alright, so the, the tax bill is gonna be in the post, is it?
3: I said, I said, eventually, well, I'd have to be because what's the end? With the Brexit. No, before Brexit. See, I was in the whole one there, uh, I was cleaning the chimney, and the fellow, uh, I said, You've got to call from the north. He said, Suck off, all that, He said, The environment crow were up to me. He was there to get in 25 bags of poisonous coal, is he's in the smokeless area. So, how did they get out to him? It came to, they got told in the north that he was have to get in there. There was 25 bags of pours delivered into the smoker's area. And right. so are there. the environment crowd from Cork came out and said, where's the coil? He said he gives to his daughter, don't waste your outside the area at the time.
1: Okay, so uh, Kieran, if, if people want to support your, your ailing business, you're struggling to survive, you're diversifying within the uh, fossil fuel business, how can they support you, where can they find you?
3: Oh, I, go and I think they're starting to go find me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i go for my retirement. I'm, I must say, my brownie, yeah, I, care. I don't this kid on chimney sweeps. I do chimneys as well. And that's even going quite like you know. I'm, see, I do the chimneys and I clean them out. like, I'm a very nice man. Like
1: so. Oh, it's, it's a full round circle with you. Yeah, that, that yeah. that's a very hard skill to find. You ever try uh, find a chimney sweep That that's available yeah, well, to work? They're very hard
3: to find. But uh, what I'm i I'm, I'm on fucking uh, um, I'm on Facebook and I'm on uh, Golden page as well. Online, so I'm not even so don't know, Karen Chimney Sweep. Uh, it's not want to the you know. Karen chimney Sweep. All right. Yeah. Karen, thanks Make, a million. Give me a big deal someday. Come on when I do it for that. Bye.
1: Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> Take care, bye. Thanks, Karen. Well, all well, the best. Uh, that's Karen Gould, cool merchant, uh, coal merchant, competing not just with the North, but uh, with SVP as well as they give the uh, coal to those in need. Uh, now, the average household, as I mentioned, is facing an increase of about 330 euros on its shopping bill. And uh, interesting article by Katrina Redmond says, when I talk about feeding families on a budget, I hasten to add it affects all of us. You could have a higher than average earning, uh, but if you've got creche fees, a car loan, high rent, this could result in low disposal Income, And the more that we feel the price increases uh, across energy, the more we feel it, fueling our cars, our rent, our mortgage, the less money families will have to pay for the groceries. And in the Irish Examiner, uh, a nice article where they reported that the average household is facing that inflationary increase on its shopping bill. Uh, so to combat the price increases at home, uh, Katrina Redmond is making her meal stretchy and adding extra ingredients to sauces to uh, to make them go further. A tin of chickpeas uh, in the beef cheek uh, ragu uh, featured in her recipe makes the meal stretch from feeding a family of four for dinner to feeding them twice because it makes enough for freezing uh, in uh, another day. Your calls and comments are welcome. If you're feeling the stretch and feeling the pinch, 0818 104106 is our phone number, and our text and WhatsApp number is 0868
0: Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Some interesting
1: articles on the rich-poor gap as we talk about the uh, continuing stretch uh, that families are feeling and uh, and the pinch that they're experiencing uh, in trying to make ends meet. But the rich-poor gap it's reported has risen by almost three euros a week as the cost of living crisis continues to worsen. Research shows findings from Social Justice Ireland found economic inequality between Ireland's poorest and richest people rose by €154 a year as a result of the taxation and welfare measures adopted in Budget 2022. Now the rich Core GAP monitors the income of a single individual uh, on job seekers' benefit and the disposable income of a single pay PAYE worker earning 100,000 euro. There's not many of them around, but the gap now stands at 975 euro per week, uh, the equivalent of 50,800 euro per year, according to the think tank's latest briefing uh, tracking distributive effects of budget policy. That's a highfalutin name, uh, but it does have some very, very interesting figures. Since last October's budget... Households relying on welfare have seen their gains range from 5 euros a week for single unemployed individuals to 24.65 per week for unemployed couples with two children over 12 years of age. Among households with jobs, the gains range from a mere 39 cent per week for low income couples earning 30 grand a year annually to 16.11 per week for couples with incomes of over 80,000 per year. Now, earners on the living wage of 12.90 per hour Gained more on account of the increase in the level of that payment and are better off by €17.12 and 12 per week. Not that that will go far, but many households, such as working households with children, receive income from both work and welfare. Uh, Colette Bennett is the economic and social, uh, social analyst at Social Justice Ireland and said, The economic inequality between poor and rich people is increasing. In real money terms, we're seeing an increase in the rich-poor divide. As a result of the taxation and welfare measures adopted in Budget 22, this rich-poor gap is increasing. And Dr. Sean Healy, CEO of Social Justice Ireland, said government budgets are failing low-income households. If you're on low income, or even if you're not, you're going to be interested in uh, the cheapest petrol that you can find. And the cheapest petrol around at the moment, uh, we're looking at uh, pricing in the last 24 hours. Uh, Courtstown, Little Island, 189.9. Great gas. On the old N25 Glan is 188.9. Circle K, Eastgate, Ballon uh 187.9. Uh, we're in 186.9 at the uh, Maxwell Bandon Road at the t- uh, uh, top, South City Link Road. Maxwell, Lord Glenmire Road. Uh, Circle K, Lord Glenmire Road, all 186.9. Um, and uh, let's go down to 185.9. Uh, Castle Redmond, Circle K, there in Middleton. Uh, frankfield road in douglas that circle k is 185.9 and that's those two in that price range and then we go to uh let me see uh dublin road yeah 184.9 we have uh, amber dublin road for Moy. uh we have cool coward topaz 184 and we're down to 183 then maxwell ballinrae carrigaline ballyhooley top 183 apple green north ring road and uh, we have one eighty two point eight Apple Green, the North Ring Road. Sorry, Apple Green North Ring Road one eighty two point eight. Uh, and I don't know if this is a typo uh, from the tenth of May, but this is something uh, to behold because this is uh, Boreen Manor Road, Ballinlock, Maxall one seventy four point nine. That seems like uh, that seems like a huge gap from one eighty two point eight on the North Ring Road in Ballyvallen to one seventy four. Point nine uh, at the Boring Manor Road in Ballinlock. So uh, Cork's cheapest petrol, if that is true, check it out. Boring Manor Road, Ballinlock, one seventy four point nine jet City, that is David Bowie, as uh, people are suffering citywide with the uh, inflationary pressures upon them. Uh, let's get to some housekeeping and some of the text in the Neil Prendival show on uh, 106 uh, On the buses, I'm a taxi driver, Mick, and I went to see the space for West Cork Connect's bus in Anderson's Quay. There's absolutely no space there for taxis to pull in to collect passengers with luggage. Uh, did you know that James Bond's uh, Aston Martin DB5 uh was taken in a suspicious uh, burglary it was believed to have been dumped over the atlantic ocean the owner claimed 4 million pounds in insurance but the uh, the car was actually found uh, in the middle east in january of this year uh, on the housing uh, that we mentioned yesterday i make that man was talking about choice what is he saying my son has saved 40k he can't even get a place to rent or to buy? What's gone seriously wrong uh, here, Mick, uh, is a question mark. Uh, maybe he can tell my son where he can get a mortgage. All the young people will go away, Mick, and they don't want to. Uh, it's the 80s. Uh, Exodus coming back again. So says Marie from Clon. Uh, why is it Irish people are on a waiting list for years but non-nationals seem to get houses before our own uh, Irish people? no, O'Brien has everyone in Cork who refuses uh, to take on employment, rubbing their hands, waiting for their free House. Votes for Owen uh, but not for me. Uh, Give them a chance Owen, you can't do any worse than what they're doing right now. Uh, Ask Owen O'Brien how many houses would Sinn Féin deliver every year and if they don't deliver, will their housing minister resign? I kind of asked him that at the end actually. It's easy to hurl on the ditch though. Uh, says Malcolm. Uh, it's impossible to have an adequate supply of housing in this country with open borders and a welfare state. House the Irish, uh, not house the world. Uh, hey Mick, I'm a single male, 33 years of age. I work, I pay bills. I've been on the housing list now uh, for nine years and seven months and I've also been on Sinn Féin as Ono Bryn paints uh, a rosy picture of what they would do I'm still nine years and seven months waiting uh, and no result. And hi Mick, if the rents are soaring, is there anything being said about the HAP limits uh, to be uh, increased? The Housing Assistant Payment, uh, so says Dave. Your calls and comments are welcome. Uh, Of course our phone number remains the same, 818 104 106, and uh, by text or WhatsApp, it's 086 8104
4: 106. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie, and you can join us for the very best in local, national, and international sports
0: every weekend on the Big Red Bench. That's the Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086 8104 106. Red FM.
1: Coming up on 7 minutes past 10 and uh, back to our phone lines and John, who's a driver with CityLink. Good morning, John. Good morning. Now, you're going to be parking uh, in, in your part of this uh, redeployment of uh, bus spaces from Patrick's Quay. I, you guys are going to McCurtain Street, is that right? So I've been told, yeah. Yeah, okay. Where exactly on McCurtain Street then? I haven't evolved this idea of where. You, you tell me where in
5: McCurtain Street can you park. Yeah. Um. McCourtney Street. Uh, they've been saying that outside the Spar supermarket, across from the Metropole.
1: Uh, outside, yeah, uh, outside, yeah. There's a bit of space there, but I know all, all the footpaths on uh, McCourtney Street have been widened, haven't they? The the area they're they trying have, to enhance yeah. the area.
5: They have. What the the the, the C A bus is has stopping there at the moment. There's only two lanes, but when the C A bus stop, it stop. It's blocked one. It blocks one lane, and you've already one other lane. Operated in. But um, where are people going to stop to drop off people for the bus? You know, uh, it doesn't make sense. I don't know where they're going to, how, how they're going to walk.
1: Is, is City Link a big bus?
5: What is a big bus? Yeah, and it is every two hours. It's a service from Cork to Galway every two hours, seven days a week, and on Fridays and Sundays it's every hour.
1: Okay. And how is uh, Patrick's Key working for you?
5: Patrick's ski is okay. It's it, it's, um, it's a bit tight, all right. But uh, we only pull up in 15 minutes and we drop and we're gone again, you know.
1: It's but, about 15 um, minutes, is it?
5: Yeah, 15 minutes for every, all, all the buses are the same. You just pull up and once you once you, you pull up on the hour and quarter past, you're gone. Okay. But um, it is it is it is working out okay, but I, I don't know how, how they're going to work it. McCourtney Street is in all I, I I don't know, and they're talking about Cob- some other buses stopping Coburg Street. So you can't hardly get through Coburg Street.
1: I know Coburg Street is is it's, it's I won't say a bottleneck, but uh, oh. it's it's already uh, two very busy lanes.
5: Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know who is uh, organising all this, but um, maybe they can see something that we can't see. But uh, at the moment. Uh, I was coming in from, uh, two weeks ago, I was coming in from Galway, and it took me from Murphy's Brewery to Patrick's Quay, it took me one hour and 15 minutes.
1: Wow. From Murphy's the Brewery to, from, yeah, the, from the Heineken, Ireland, the brewery in Blackpool.
5: Yeah, 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 to Patrick's Quay. One hour and 15 minutes. The people in bus were having a heart attack.
1: Okay, so to, to get from um, Heineken, Ireland, or Murphy's Brewery, as people know it, to uh, Patrick's Quay, that means you must use McCurtain Street, yeah? You have or, to. Or do you do get go on go do go go. Down by the Opera House? No, you
5: have to go down to because you have to turn up on Patrick's Key, you see. You could go down by the opera and around the ring, but such was just as bad with traffic. Well, I, now the, the road was were probably caused because of they were doing the road at, at that time in Brian Brew Street and the traffic was down to one lane. It was crazy. Yeah. It's just busy, a busy time. half
1: five in the evening. It was crazy. Yeah. What's life like for a bus driver? You, you must be, you know, if, if there's taco limits. On the uh, on the truck drivers, you guys must be under the same strain, are you? To if if you're going to Galway, do you have to take a break? Is what I'm asking, really?
5: No, from Galway to from Galway from Cork to Galway is it's three and a half hours.
1: Okay, and so you can drive you straight
5: can back drive without, a half You drive oh, straight no, back. No. We, no, no, no. We've uh, an hour and a half to two hours. Uh, We're two, uh, two and a half hours break in Galway before we come back down.
1: Okay, uh, and that's to have uh, a bite to eat, relax, watch TV or yeah, whatever. Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. There's no hassle there. Yeah. But um, it, it, it takes three and a half hours from Cork to Galway in the end traffic, but you, you can drive for four and a half hours uh, and then have a 45-minute break. But we have a two and a half hour break, so it, it's no problem.
1: Are you guys paid by the journey or paid by the hour? Uh,
5: we're, we're, we're we're paid by the trip.
1: Okay. So if it takes you four and a half or three and a half, same money? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. It doesn't matter. Uh, and in your opinion, and maybe an unfair question on you, uh, John, uh, is is working for the uh, for bus errand perhaps or working for a private operator uh, the more coveted position now? Uh
6: they're all
5: they're, they're all the same. You're driving a bus. It's driving a bus. Been, they, they all been they are paid different rates, but um, CAU is mostly city work. I prefer driving on the open road.
1: Okay, you, yeah, yeah, you're, you're an open open road preference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright, uh, let's see how it pans out uh, I must say the plan looks very good on paper, it's just trying to imagine it in actuality that people are having difficulty yeah.
5: with I haven't seen anything on paper i was decided what I've been told where, where the buses are going to be moved to Aircourt is going to be moved to Brian Bruce Street I was told and we are going to McCartney Street yes. uh, I don't know what the rest of them but uh, I don't know where McCartney Street we are going to I mean, okay, maybe if they place a for a place to pull in a bus, but how are, how are people going to stop uh, and drop off people in cars? It, it's going to be hit, mayhem. I thought they were going moving all the buses down as far as the railway station. They were supposed to be building a new depot down there. I was told that a couple of years ago.
1: Uh, that didn't come, come to pass, did it? I, I suppose the I railway know. station, you know, as convenient as it can be, is, is, is that little bit out of town, isn't
5: it? It's only five minutes. I mean, there, there's plenty of room for cars. Car dropping off people and petrol for buses stopping in, the actual Dublin buses coming down would would not have to interfere with the city, and it's still only five minutes walk from the from the train station.
1: Mm. Yeah, fair yeah. point. Yeah, uh, I, I think we're, we're going to find this out by the end end of the month anyway. When uh, I know there's on, it's only a short term concentrated works are going to be happening on uh, St. Patrick's Quay, and I know that the artist's impression uh, would, would give rise to saying, oh, that's going to be lovely and uh, airy and yeah. plenty room and all that kind of thing. The, the businesses seem to be against the move, you guys seem to be against the move, uh, the public seem to be against the move, but the well, enlightened...
5: It, it, don't make, yeah, it don't make sense, we, sense because Aircoach and, uh, and uh, CityLink and Go Bus, all them, they were made to uh, run from city to city. We're supposed to be dropping in the city. Uh, that's why people are using
1: them. And that's why they're hugely popular. Yeah, that's why they're popular. Like the, the, the air coach, even if, you, let, let's say you're not going to Dublin Airport, it takes you from Cork City Centre right into the heart of Dublin City Centre.
2: Correct, correct.
1: That's, that's what they were designed. to. And that's City right. CityLink is the same, I imagine. All the way to Galway, city, you, you, do you hit City yeah. Centre?
5: CityLink are the same. We're, we're, we're walking from Limerick to Dublin Airport as well. So okay. It so is, it's... Is, that is what it was designed for, running to the airports. Uh, because we, in Dublin Airport you have no train going to Dublin Airport, so you, you can get a bus straight to the airport.
1: Yeah, that's why it's so popular. Rather than get a train and a taxi. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right, John. Thanks very much. Not at all. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. No, bye bye. Now, unless people are bye. people are rushing to uh, avail of those petrol prices that I questioned as being very very generous, uh, it looks as though Maxol on the Boree Manor Road is actually one eighty six for a litre of petrol, okay? Max on the Boring Manor Road, uh, if we call it a different figure, is actually 186 for a litre of petrol. If you've seen cheaper petrol, then please get in touch, 0818 104 106. Uh, now, to beat the petrol, we're going to talk to Shane on line three. Morning, Shane. Good morning. You're cycling. Yes, I am, Mick. Yes, I am indeed. Okay, now you're not cycling from Ballinacurra to, not... Cor- to Cork or anything like that. You're cycling no. from Ballinacurra to Essen in Germany. Yes, yes. This day next week. Okay, uh, a very poignant cycle, though. Uh, please tell us all about Fabian.
4: Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fabian was born to um, to myself and my wife on the first of September, two thousand and fourteen. Uh, my wife Basha. Yeah, and he was everything was normal, you know, normal delivery, normal. Uh, first first year and a half, met all his milestones. He was thriving, flying. We did everything we were supposed to do. But just in, in in kind of March March sixteen and in April sixteen he just he, he started being off form and, and you know, he just wasn't himself and, and, and things like that and we kinda of went looking about it and people were that uh, that the, the doctors were kinda of saying, Oh it's a virus, it's 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 something like that, he just needs to get over it and, and, and he'll be grand but just things things started to deteriorate with him um kinda of around April, May. You know, he was getting sick in the morning. The, the, the obvious effects of what was to come was, was, was affecting him was affecting him really badly. He was really off-form. So we had... Um, we were told to bring him from a, for an MRI scan in, in May 16. And uh, we just thought, you know, as you would, that it would be a routine scan. And they'd just say, listen, just rule, rule everything out. Rule anything out, really. And you'd be going home that day and everything would be grand. But,
1: but the diagnosis was?
4: Yeah, unfortunately, we got the... You know. sorry no. uh, we got the worst news you could get you know that it was, uh, it, was it was the brain tumour so Um, and not really yeah you know as you can imagine that really turned our life around and uh, <laughs> everything changed from that day on really so so we were um, we stayed overnight that night I think in CUH and um uh fabian got a got a got an ambulance with my wife to uh <clears throat> to temple street in dublin the next day and i followed up by car and then you know they 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 they, they took us through what was going to go up what, what was going to happen from then on in and they did a uh a biopsy surgery and surgery to relieve some pressure uh from his brain on the 10th of may um they told us you know they told us exactly what was going on and how serious it was going to be and They let us go home for a few... After a few days, you know, he recovered really well from it. After a few days, they let us go home and his form returned to normal, you know, because they took away some of the symptoms uh, from him. And his form form was really good for the two weeks and
1: we had... Were you living in hope of a full recovery at that stage for Fabian? Or or, or did they give you the...
4: Yeah, they they told us it was going to be serious, you know. They told us it was going to be serious and that it was... um, you know, depending on the biopsy, really, it would it would determine um, how serious it was going to be. Um, but we knew where it was, it was down in the brainstem, that the surgery was going to be very complex. It's going to take a long time. And there was serious consequences for him, depending on how it went, you know. But that happened about two weeks after the the, the biopsy surgery. We came back to Temple Street. And... He had the, he had a big surgery. Oh, was, oh, I think at the time it was probably eight to ten, eleven hour surgery. He was in for you know, um, um, and and he was in ICU then afterwards for for about ten days. And you know it was we know how serious then it was. You know when we went up to see him in ICU and there was tubes in him and he was all bandaged up and. You know, as I said, everything had changed, and uh, we just had to wait to see how his recovery was. But some of the the worst aspects of it were probably over. You know, they didn't it didn't happen as you know as as they had warned us. Um, but there was a lot of rehab afterwards. You know, he had some facial palsy and stuff like that, and he had yep. to learn to eat again, and he had to learn to walk again. So there was a lot of rehab up in Temple Street. Uh, we were there for a good a good. Um, Six six to eight weeks, I'd say, and they had mentioned uh, they had mentioned travel to Essen, uh, which is the, the destination for um, proton radiotherapy treatment. That that was probably the best uh, option for us and for for Fabian to to completely um, get rid of the the, the brain tumor. Okay, Austin, that's, that's to, to the West
1: Deutsche uh, uh, Proton Therapy Clinic in Essen, that's, in uh, Germany. On, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Volkswagen town, I think. Isn't it?
4: Yeah, a huge industrial town, a huge industrial area. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, oh, sorry, um, a very nice area <laughs> outside of that. O- outside outside of the reason going you're going for.
1: There. Now, yeah. the Gavin Glynn Foundation helped you on your way uh, because, of course, your world is completely turned upside down. You probably had to step back from your job and all that kind of thing to, to do the necessary for Fabian. And, and uh, the Gavin Glynn Foundation helped you along your way there. Uh, and, and what you're doing now... Uh, is uh, in memory of Fabian, of course, who lost his big, big battle at the age of three uh, in 2017. Yes, he, he could no longer fight off the effects of uh, the tumour. He left to fly with the angels, as you said.
4: Yes, yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, um, yeah, we, we're when essen was first mentioned, we just, it was kind of early on in, this, in his recovery, or early on after the surgery, we just kind of put it to the back of our minds and said, we'll deal with that when it when it comes, you know, but um uh, when, the, when the time was finally coming around to go, um, we were Crumlin actually put us in touch with um, John Glynn from the Gavin Glynn Foundation and we didn't know what to expect really, you know, from, from, from John or, or, or what they did at the time and we met John and Crumlin and he pretty much told us listen, you don't have to worry about anything, you know, we'll sort everything, everything flights, accommodation, expenses, logistics, anything you need and they, they had the knowledge of helping other families go on and 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 and, and that's so you know i mean it was a great relief for us
1: is that what they specialize in, and, in there, at, at that, that foundation that's
4: yeah that's what they specialize in yeah yeah they've they've helped um 170 kids and their families travel in the last seven years they currently have helping four families in essen at the moment one in houston uh and there's two more traveling to essen in the next three weeks and it, you know, they've helped um, with families traveling to the UK. It doesn't matter where you're going for, for cancer treatment. Okay, they'll so be there to, uh, to help you out.
1: That's yeah. a great charity, helping children, yeah, uh, helping the parents of children uh, to deal yeah, with the expense. Yeah. They have enough going on with uh, dealing with the expense of traveling uh, to help their children fight cancer. Yeah,
4: yeah, that's it, exactly,
1: yeah. So you're, no, really, made, you're uh, really recreating this, this trip you made when Fabian was alive. You're, you really are recreating it, cycling there uh, in his memory then?
4: yeah that's it yeah yeah i'd um I suppose it had been in my mind for i long- i I've, I've, I've been cycling for a long time um you know as 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 we all give it up when we're in our late teens, I took it up again you know in my late twenties and i've been cycling for a long time, so it's always been a, a, a part a part of what I do and um, yeah about three years ago, I really started thinking about it you know about doing it and and going over and kind of looking, looking into a, to routes. Just, just you know, go, go through it in my own mind, really. Looking at and some of the easy.
1: stats here, it's 1,319 kilometres. How many kilometres a, a day will you do? Uh, yeah, about 200 a day. Yeah. Okay, if so you're looking, it's a 66-hour cycle in total. W- w- would you agree with that, or would you be faster? Uh,
4: yeah, uh, let me tell you, yeah, probably. Yeah. Maybe a little quicker than that, yeah, yeah. I suppose six days, six days on the continent, so... The first two days are 196, then it's 202, and then 198. Okay, and then so you've done the research. You're
1: you're you're absolutely certain you you're not going to be on an autobahn now, where bicycles are banned or anything like that.
4: No, no, no. That's, uh, hopefully nothing. Anyway. I was looking through the routes actually the other the other night, and I have like I, I have all the accommodation books. So I have to reach a certain point um, by a certain time. You know, obviously before they close and things like that and things like that. So. And I had a really uh, close look at the routes last night, or not last night, sorry, uh, during the week. And, you know, just taking in 50-kilometer steps, yeah. just do 50k, take a, take a break, do 50k, take a break, do 50k, take a break, and then 50k and I'll be at my destination and just try and break it down like that. And it makes it a bit more manageable and I can look at the towns and might ha- hit it those 50k markers and... Yeah make sure there's
1: restaurants and things like that. Sure, okay. yeah. Most, most importantly, of course, the, uh, the, water. the trip is fully funded uh, by yourself and <laughs> uh, fully self-supported. So there's, uh, whatever yep. you raise is, is, is going to be going directly uh, to the cause. So what's going to be the highlight yep. of this route uh, or any place you're planning to visit and take a little bit of a break in between or anything? Uh, uh, no, no. <laughs> no,
4: it'll be pretty much full on. I'd say, I'd say out at 8 o'clock in the morning and, 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 and try and maybe do eight to nine hours on the bike and maybe spread it over ten to ten and a half hours for the day so it'll just, it really is just about getting there but I'll en- I'm sure I'll enjoy the, the scenery and the, the French town a lot of the French town sure. a lot of the time will be in France and, and things like that I will go through through Paris and go up to Champs-Élysées I think if I can
1: Oh very just nice
4: because of the tour and stuff like that and it's a cyclist
1: you know and of course you're, if I'm going go be... to be there I might as well go through it yeah. sure you're going to be thinking of Fabian all along the way and, uh, yeah ok how, how can people support uh, there's an I Donate page
4: um, if you go into I Donate and they stick in Balnakura in the search engine it, it'll come up or if they stick in Essen in the search engine it'll come up ok idonate.ie and, uh,
1: and uh, Balnakura yes. or Essen will get you there uh, yes, to, yes. to support that very worthy cause uh, Shane O'Callaghan from Balnakura. Uh, and in, in uh, memory of Fabian, we salute what you're doing. We hope you raise a lot of money. Thanks, Gavin thanks very Foundation. much. for your time. Thanks a million. Cheers. Bye-bye. Rachel is on line one. Hi, Rachel. Rachel. Hi, how are Hi. you? Hi. Could, could you turn off the radio in the background because we're going to get feedback. Uh, yeah, I'll
6: actually go into the sitting room.
1: Okay, thanks a million because... Uh, no got,
6: problem at all.
1: Yeah, okay. Now, Rachel has three kids. They're all on the autistic spectrum. The eldest is Clayton, who's 18, uh, um, and who uh, she says got good help from uh, services, uh, but the services available have deteriorated since then. So, while she's moving, I can tell you that Kean is 14, began struggling a few years ago, and began to get verbally and physically abusive, uh, also struggling with mental health and suicidal thoughts. So, they sought out a psychologist. Are you settled there, uh, Rachel?
6: So, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, I'm okay, here. so so you you reckon Clayton got good help from the state, but the services have deteriorated since then. So uh, they t- have. Yeah, tell, tell me about Kean who's who's now fourteen.
6: Kean now fourteen. He was diagnosed when he was uh, six. Keon um, also at the time, well, he still has um, a condition called Perthy's disease, so uh, he couldn't walk too far. So he spent a bit of time in a wheelchair. And. Um, Kean was to see uh, dieticians, psychologists, physiotherapists, um, he was to have access to um, psychologist or social worker, um, and we never got any of those. Um, basically, it was a case of the way their, their school day worked, they, or they started at 10 to nine and finished at a half two. Um, any appointments that we got for Kean would mean that Clayton had to finish school early. Now, we only have one car, so it was a case of there was no one to collect or bring them to school um, but ourselves. So we asked if it was a case that we could get later appointments because it was unfair for Clayton to be finishing school early to try and accommodate other appointments. Um, That didn't happen, so... um, as time got on, uh, he started getting more kind of verbally and physically aggressive and um, he started talking about suicide and not wanting to live because there was no point and um, so we tried getting on to his psychologist. We spent nearly two years trying to get someone to see him and um, we'd ring and we'd say, look, we need to see or make an appointment to see his psychologist. Um he's not doing well at the moment and they'd say okay we'll log your call it will take three weeks before we can get back to you because there's a waiting list three weeks four weeks five weeks ago and we wouldn't have any reply uh, so we'd ring again and then we'd be told oh she's after going on annual leave she'll be back in so many weeks so we'd wait and we'd ring again and it was just the same circle um, mm-hmm. And eventually, I found out through a friend of mine that um, the psychologist had actually left two years ago.
1: Okay, um, so uh, I believe you kept getting told the psychologist was on leave or on holidays, and
6: on holidays uh, or she was on leave. They were or actually gone. They would contact us within three weeks because they were busy and there was a waiting list. Um, so so you're you're about two
1: years trying to get help here, uh, and then after yeah. two years of nothing happening, you find out. That the psychologist so gone was gone anyway. He
6: wasn't there in the first place. Now, we weren't even guessing he's social worker either. And um, so we were kind of in limbo to where to go. So I went through my GP who referred him to Jigsaw. Now, because he wasn't 12, Jigsaw couldn't um, see him straight away. He would have been 12 in the August. So they had made an appointment for him just after his 12th birthday. But that was cancelled because of the covid um, and then it was a case of we never, uh, we were never contacted or anything then after that to, to reschedule. Now he has kind of come around since he's a lot more mellow now, but he still does tend to get very angry. And um, he will, he wouldn't lash out at me, but he would get kind of physically aggressive. He would hit something or he'd slam doors or, you know. That kind of thing. So tr-
1: trying, trying to get assessment for Cian is obviously complicated by the fact that Clayton is also in the, uh, you know, in, in in your thoughts, in your needs. He has his own particular requirements. And, and so that's complicated in itself. Uh, but did, then exactly. then then Tyler Rose, your daughter, who's seven, also needed an assessment.
6: She did. Um, we kind of knew early on that there was signs of um, autism there, um, given that we already had two previous diagnoses. Um, with the boys Um so we'll say from her preschool kind of year we kind of looked at getting her assessed by then we've spoken to the doctor Um we had a meeting with a, a lady who referred us to the early intervention services in around 2019 so her assessments then were due to start again in 2020 but because of the COVID then everything was cancelled. okay um, so we kind of went back on the waiting list, not knowing how long we'd be waiting.
1: So, uh, so were you sent to various organisations then in, in trying to get this assessment?
6: We we were. Um, no, after after her assessment had been cancelled, um, I suppose people that know the process up to that, you get a load of forms in which you have to fill in, we'll say, everything from their the birth to their first steps, their their first words, etc., their their quirks, basically their their strong points and their weak points, their behaviours and what have you. Now when the the appointment had been cancelled for her original assessments in 2020, about four or five loads of those forms came back again and we had to refill every single one of them and send them off again. We still weren't getting anywhere and we said, look, we rang the assessment officer and said, we need help because here she is, a four-year-old, basically doors coming off hinges, things been broken, things been thrown down the stairs. She was physically and verbally aggressive and um, we weren't getting any support um, and my husband has been very sick as well in between and we weren't getting anywhere. You know? Yeah,
1: but as if to, um, as if to verify your, your, your fears about the system not being uh, up to scratch, you received a letter which referred to her as a boy, another letter yeah. had her incorrect date of birth, and another had a different child's information on it.
6: Information on it, yeah. Uh, we, were, we finally um, got referred to um, Enable Ireland when we said, look, we're going to have to go the legal route if you don't start giving us the support that we need. We got a, a preliminary assessment done by Enable Ireland, um, they sent out their report, basically stating that there was an issue with tyler um and decided that she was being she'd be better assessed by cans now the assessment officer um kind of basically from the early intervention services basically did a summary on the report for Nabe in ireland um now that will say summary had a boy's name on it. Um so it was kind of like a really bad copy and paste kind of a thing to me, you know. Um, they'd have one sentence and then the following sentence would contradict the previous one. So we were kind of going, What in the name of God is going on here? It doesn't make sense. So we sent well, I they they wanted the report back and they they amended it. We got letters um, from the same intervention services with the wrong date of birth, and then there was other ones then shortly after came referring to her as a male. Wow. So basically um, early the Enabled Ireland referred her to CAMS. Uh, CAMS decided that they to do an ADHD assessment would be too severe on her and wanted her to have an ASD assessment so they referred her to a primary care psychology
1: So Uh, you're getting pushed from pillar to post here where where do you stand now, Rachel?
6: She was referred by the primary care to uh, the Disability Network team in Middleton Um, they eventually got her a one hour multidisciplinary assessment done by the, the Stepping Ahead Clinic uh in uh in Cork as well now that has given her a diagnosis of autism um but they've recommended that she has an assessment for ADHD so we're still waiting on that um she hasn't had a- access to any services yet
1: okay well, our next interview is going to be with Timmy Long from the Two Norries. Now, he's doing a fundraising walk this weekend to raise funds for better psychological assessment for schools on the north side. So, will you stay listening, Rachel, and will you stay in touch as to how you get on uh, with the various will, services course, that your three children can I, need? Can
6: I actually just say, you know, um, with regards to, with everything we've been through with trying to get assessments and everything done, you know, we've had a lot of support from her school in that they give her we'll say, help from an SNA and they do give her resource, you know, and they have actually been onto the services with regards to, we'll say, her reports and how poorly they were done, um, you know, and she's been helping us so much along the way that's Joanna Kelly from Coyle National School. Um,
1: Rachel, you seem like a very thing. patient woman. Uh, how are yourself and David handling all of this?
6: Um, it's, it's tough. Um, I have to say it's tough um, And I think it's more tough for Dave because um, he's quite sick himself. He's just kind of recovering from cancer. Um, He has a lot of other medical issues in the background, again, that kind of prevent him from helping out as much as he'd like to Um, because some days he just can't get out of bed and walk. Um, So it's tough. I'm able to get out of bed. I can do the running around and what have you. But I think for him it's tougher because he feels like he can't help out as much as he'd like to. You know, so it's extremely tough. Mm-hmm. Him, but.
1: Yeah, we get the very distinct impression from interviews I've done over the last week or so here in the programme that uh, uh, very much against the experience in the UK, interaction mm-hmm. here with, with uh, the needful services for children, uh, is it best sloppy? I,
6: I, I think a lot needs to be done, um, to be honest. Um, I think... Our, our our next generation of kids are going to suffer a lot along the way if they don't give them the support that they need you know okay. um now I have to say in fairness to my eldest son with um, with the with um, Kyle, they gave him the support that he needed um and he's just been offered a place in, in college um, and okay. he's doing his due he's leaving start now in june and and we're extremely proud of how far he's come. But um, as for my other two children, I fear for their future going forward because the supports aren't there. Okay.
1: Rachel, you have a lot on your shoulders and you're you're handling it stoically. So well done. You're very brave to come on as well and tell us all about it.
6: (laughs) Thanks, Rachel. Thank you very much. Thanks. Okay,
1: we've got Timmy Long on the way.
0: Get it off your chest. Call Neil Brenderville now on 0818 Red FM.
1: Coming up on 20 minutes to 11. Good morning, this is uh, Mick Mulcahy and Timmy Long from the two Norries joins us on the line. Good morning, Timmy. Hi, Mick. I'm good. Now, you were doing a fundraising walk this weekend, which we'll get to in a moment, but uh, you were listening in on the last interview there, uh, and you've been quite vocal to me about your own school struggles because of undiagnosed dyslexia. Tell us a little about that.
7: Well, um, growing up in the 80s, uh, it, like being dyslexic wasn't something that was recognised, you know. So I went through the education system with... The belief that there was something wrong with me because I couldn't I couldn't relate to the other children inside in the classroom and I, I couldn't grasp things as well as they did and I just built up this core belief then that there was something wrong with me. I was stupid or there was something wrong with my brain or and um I I just went through my whole life like that and any time I pick up a newspaper I'd try to get the story off the the pictures on it or maybe just skip to the end to see would they give me the end of the story. And I never really recognized that there was a problem until I went for my own assessment in third-level education, you know?
1: It was was that late in life, uh, comparatively. You didn't get it in in primary or secondary, in third level.
7: Yes, I uh, I was 36 years old, Mick, when I got my assessment in MTU. And when that assessment came... And the educational psychologist told me that I was dyslexic, and there was absolutely nothing wrong with my mind, my brain. You know, she said I was actually intellectually quite smart. Everything just dropped. The penny dropped for me at that moment, and my belief that there was something wrong with me and that I was stupid just fell. It just it just fell off. Just elaborated, Yeah. I, yeah. Because I researched dyslexia then, and it, everything that I felt around my own. Self, you know, the short-term memory, not being able to grasp things initially, having to consistently go over stuff, read things maybe three, four, five, six times to be able to understand it. All these things were characteristics of being dyslexic, and it just blew me away. It blew me away, and I was able to get get the help then that I required. To, to get the education that fitted my ability, you know. Sure, because
1: you always had to work harder to get a level of understanding of a topic than than most other exactly. people who didn't have dyslexia. Yeah.
7: Like I, I, I'm fortunate that I was able to develop these strengths. You know, I, I'd be a visual person, so if I see something being done for the first time, and I'm in the construction industry, if I see someone showing me how to maybe put up a few blocks, or maybe cut a roof, or, or something to that nature, I have it once, it's in my mind, and I'm done. You know, but if I was shown the exact same thing on a book, I would not be able to I wouldn't be able to get it. So I had developed at that point my strengths, and I had them, but like there's, there's young children going through the education system at the moment, and... It's unfortunate that their parents and the schools can't afford these assessments by the EPs, which are educational psychologists. And I think it's, it's sad. It's very, very sad that these children are slipping through the cracks in our education system. And I think it's down to people like me and others who, who went through the education system without any diagnosis, would now have the diagnosis to say that they're dyslexic, dysgraphia, dysgraphia dyscalculius all these different things to be able to say, do you know what, let's stand up for the children that are behind us and try to get these assessments within the schools as a, as something that's required from maybe entry into school when the teacher notices something. These is, like you can do a screening test first to see is there is there a possibility that a child may have a learning difficulty. And after that, then you can bring in an educational psychologist to do the actual report, you know.
1: Yeah, isn't it kind of sad though that fundraising efforts have to be uh, undertaken by the likes of yourself and other good-natured people to to facilitate this? That the the service is just not there.
7: Definitely, definitely, because we, we we all don't we we can't get educated together within schools, particularly at the moment. Because like a lot of people can relate to this. There's more children with additional needs in the schools. today, the learning differences and. You know, we need to roll with that. We need to work out how we're going to work with these. Like, the schools are there. They want to do it. You know, they want to have, be able to help all of these children, but the funding is just not there. You know, I think the more people that stand up and, and the more awareness that's created around these issues, every child deserves an equal opportunity within the education system, whether they have money or they don't have money. You know, and, and it's my belief as well, Mick, that the children that do get these educational psychologist assessments, they'll go on with the, w- without the core belief that I had in my own life, that I was stupid, that there was something wrong with my brain, that something may have happened to me, you know, and these kids will go on and, and they won't have these beliefs. And they, they, the success stories, then will come from them. And it's also like, it, I, I believe that there'll be a drop in homelessness, drug addiction um. Mm-hmm crime because of these because we'll have more students that are getting their needs met at a young age and they can go on then in the education system with an education that meets their ability and their needs
1: yeah because the the assessments can be liberating really can't they and i've the right word it can set you free a little unbelievably mick like
7: when i had my one done it just it changed my whole perception because i was really really struggling in total level education, I, I I went through four or five, six years of education at that point, and, and I did really struggle, because every time I came across a problem, maybe through the, the maths I was doing, or the English, you know, I didn't understand words and sentences, and when you don't understand the first sentence, how are you supposed to keep going, you know, if uh. you're sitting in a lecture, but... Jimmy before perfect.
1: before we look at at the yeah. journey you're about to undertake on Saturday, and and just in case any of our listeners were on the moon recently, um, yeah. could you could you give us the sixty second life story? You know, from the the alcohol and drug addiction to prison to education to podcast to national TV and radio stardom.
7: <laughs> I'm 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 well known now for for rambling on a little bit. So sixty seconds. Go on, let's try one. it. Uh, Right, um I grew up in, in Noknahimi in the north side of the city. You know, there was I grew up with my two younger brothers, my mother, a lot of mental health issues were in the family environment growing up. Got involved in drugs at a young age, um, left school at a young age, went on, got involved in crime and drugs and all everything that goes with that lifestyle and stopped drinking at the age of thirty one, went to prison, got an education, then inside in prison Done the equivalent of the junior cert and i kept going then from prison to the outside i'd done the equivalent of the leaving cert on the outside and then i was at the third level education where i have now got uh an, an honors degree in construction management and i also got my qualification as a carpenter joiner and i know i have my own construction company where um we're, we're busy, <laughs> but that's, that's it in a nutshell, and the podcast then, myself and James, we started it about two years ago, where we sh- shared our own stories initially, and we bring people on then to share their stories of, of mental health, drugs, prison, social issues, Uh Everything that needs to be spoken about within society... That
1: and I heard, of, I heard a very strange statistic as well, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure you take a certain amount of pride in this as well, but it's the most listened to podcast in Irish prisons.
7: Yes, uh, it's, it was brought into the Irish prison system there recently, and it's been it's actually been broadcasted on the Irish prison channel, where it's visual, they, they take the videos from YouTube and they play them, and the amount of feedback we've gotten from prisoners that get out get out of prison and who have been listening to the podcast inside is, is phenomenal. Like they they now believe that they, their lives can be changed because of my own uh, story being shared and James's story being shared and others who we bring on. And they believe now that they can change as well. So a lot of them are going into education for the first time. You know, they're getting the help. they require. The Cork Alliance are helping them on the on road. Like, it's it's absolutely amazing, Mick. Um, you know, this journey that I've been on, it's been up. It's been down. You know, there's a lot of, you, you get a lot of it. A lot of, like, listen, myself and James, we lived the past as well. And, you know, it, it, it that can come back as well, but... We just kept motoring on, Mick. We kept doing what we're doing. We believe in what we're doing. We're doing it for the right reasons. And it's amazing, the feedback, the amount of people that just say, well, well done, you know. Because we genuinely, genuinely started this for the right reasons, to help people. It was never for fame. It was never for anything other than just try to help people, to share people, you know. And we just keep doing it. We keep doing it on a daily basis. And a lot of people have gotten a lot of help from us and they've gotten routes to recovery routes to education and it's just it's been massively beneficial to a lot of people during lockdown who who may have suffered with addiction problems because it was their go to on a weekly basis because the
1: meetings were locked as well you know mm-hmm. uh, because of who you are to me and, and all you've achieved I've, I've probably dwelt a little bit longer uh, away from the the reason you're doing all this and and that is Uh, At the weekend, you're going to undertake a 16-kilometre fundraising hike from uh, Torque Waterfall to Kenmare along the old Kenmare Road. Now, the reason here is to support Walk This Way uh, to a wider education. So this is going to focus on assessing children in three particular schools. St. Mary's on the Hill Primary School, Terence McSweeney Community College and Churchfield Padre Pio Primary School. So uh, that's all happening on, on Saturday. Can people join you or is it just financial support you need?
7: Anybody can join us, you know, it's a safe enough walk. It's all, it, There's a bit of terrain, but it's not, you're not climbing corn tool, just put it that way. Anybody can join. We're meeting in the car park for about quarter to half, past nine, quarter to ten, and we're taking off then at 10 a.m. So um, everybody's welcome, but if anyone wanted to donate, they can go onto the GoFundMe page, which is walk this way to a wider education. And I would particularly ask anybody that did go through the education system and had any form of learning difference undiagnosed and later on in life got a diagnosis to be able to just do what they can because these assessments, these 30 assessments are going to change children's lives. And there's also an aftercare project where we have a lady by the name of Georgie Cooney. She's she's, uh, going into the schools to educate teachers around different learning differences and how each child can, can be helped to their particular requirements, you know, so it's a great project.
1: Okay, do you ever tire of doing good stuff for people?
7: Uh, After this, no, Mick, I'll I'll give it a break for a while because um, I have to give my my own family a little bit more time and that's the reality of it, you know, sometimes I get so caught up in trying to help other people that I I forget about the people who are in my own home and, and I'm going to focus a little
1: bit more there after after this walk. Well, nice for them to hear that now as well, Timmy, isn't it? Exactly. All right, exactly. man. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, we've yet to meet, but uh, I'm sure we'll... we'll, uh, we'll We'll uh, have a cup of tea sometime. And uh, I do enjoy, I, don't, I haven't heard many of them, but I do enjoy the Two podcast. Uh, continued success in all you do. Uh, I'm sure TV beckons after the uh, the national radio career uh, will surely be good to you. And thank you for coming on this morning and the very best of luck. Uh, that GoFundMe again is what? Walk this walk walk this way to a wider education. Okay. Uh, one of the Two Timmy Long, thank you for coming on this morning. Cheers. Thank you.
0: God. To Neil Prenderville now, 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM.
1: And to get through some of the texts coming into uh, 0868104106, in our news with Lana and in the newspaper uh, review, uh, we mentioned the Gardaí have said the number of assaults in Cork is rising across all three divisions, and according to their statist- uh, statistics, attacks across the city and county uh, that have caused harm have more than doubled between January and April, up from 47 in 2021 to 98 in 2022. That means there's an assault causing harm happening in Cork on the average once every second day and we asked the question on social media do you feel safe in Cork and have you seen the rise in these violent attacks and some of your reaction here, I won't get to it all but uh, a texter says the government has closed hundreds of Garda stations across the country over the last few years. In Cork they closed McCurtain Street, Barrack Street, Old Mallow Road Station and possibly more. Other stations are only manned for a few hours like Carrigaline, Douglas and Ballancolic. Also a lot of Garda who claim Uh, they're injured, do a cushy civil servant role in the office and never arrest anyone or attend court or go on patrol again. Two very... uh Different elements in one text there. It's become very unsafe to explore Cork and go shopping or dine out. There's always something that gets in the way when you're trying to have fun as gangs can come upon you and start trouble. Guardi need to be more focused on the busiest streets that have seen way more assaults over the past few months. No, it's not safe at any time in the city centre anymore. We need more guards in the street to protect us. I don't feel safe there in the daytime. Never mind the night time, says a texter. We should be tougher on people who assault is the answer. If you assault someone for no reason, it should be five years with no parole. No one, absolutely no one should raise their hand to another human being. It's archaic and needs to end. And it's got nothing to do with the end of uh, restrictions. Now compare those numbers to the same period during 2019. The last time people were all free to be out and about. And you'll see that the assaults uh, were quite prevalent then as well. You don't need to go to the city to feel unsafe. Towns have become very rough with antisocial social behaviour too. And that's uh, some of your comments uh, on our social media and on 0868 106. Now, during the last interview, I was bombarded with beautiful pictures from uh, a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, uh, Rob O'Farrell. And welcome to the world, Ivy May O'Farrell, born on the 2nd of May at £8.2 pounds at 1.52am. So to Rob and Laura, very proud parents, massive congratulations and a shout out to all the staff at the Maternity Ward in the CUH for their incredible support, helping to bring uh, our gorgeous daughter into the world. Welcome to the world, Ivy May O'Farrell.
8: I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national, and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to
0: 106, Red FM. This is the Neil Prendeville Show.
1: And now, as they say, to something completely different. Good morning, Sandra.
8: Hi, good morning. Hi, Mick. Thanks for
1: having me. It's a pleasure. Now, you're in West Cork in Ballylickey near Bantry, a beautiful part of the world right. at the end of the Bantry line there. and um, Absolutely. Yeah, which is the shortcut really, isn't it? If, if uh, Those who know their way through West Cork will always take the Bantry line. If I can, rem- if I can Absolutely. remember.
8: Absolutely. The best I, I, way I, I, to find us. I know it involves <laughs> Kale
1: Killed and I know it involves, it goes out there by, um, not Cochford, Copeen- is it? Uh, yeah,
8: Copene. Crookstown, Copene. Yeah, that way. Yeah, but
1: mm-hmm. don't don't miss that fork in the road, or you'll end up in the wrong place. Anyway, Absolutely. you you found you found it something quite unique. It's an animal assisted uh, therapy center.
8: That's right. It's called Harry Henry Care Farm.
1: Oh, say that again, please. So,
8: hairy? Harry Henry. Harry Henry. Harry Henry is a horse. <laughs> He's a very hairy horse, and he is the. Co founder of My Care Farm. So he's just turned 18 years old, and in 2013 we started out as a team, him and myself, uh, to help children and adults with um, all sorts of challenges uh, uh, to help them with emotional needs, uh, social, physical, cognitive, and what we offer is therapeutic riding so people actually get up on the horse and uh the care farm bridge then is where people just spend time on the farm they might join in with uh different jobs around the farm or just bond with the animals uh we do camps as well and it's all for the benefit of the of the people who come here
1: okay i was trying to place the accent um but you're from Germany and you're here with us for 25 years that's
8: right born and raised in Germany but then I moved here in the late 90s and we've been on our land since 2000 and oh uh, 2005 yeah
1: Okay, so and, and and this gives birth to a very kind of a new concept, I think, or maybe it's not new, but it's called Care Farming. And Care Farming is the therapeutic use of farming acti- activities. I have a little nephew and all he wants to be is a farmer, so I'd say he'd love this. The purpose of Care Farming is to promote mental and physical health and emotional well-being by giving people the opportunity to spend time with and work with farm animals, such as sheep and donkeys and pet rabbits and dogs and hens and ducks and geese, and by exploring and experiencing... Uh, the natural
8: environment on the farm. Correct, absolutely. <laughs> That's what we do, and it would be you know there's different concepts out there. Some people might have heard of social farming, or or sorts of you know pet farms, uh, open farms, that kind of thing. Uh, what's different with our setup is that people come here because they might have a particular challenge they are facing, or a special need, or um a, a problem or something something they struggle with and my work would be person centered so it's all about helping the person and making things work for them better or at the very least giving them a good time here so that they go away feeling better and we do that by kind of tuning in with them really and seeing well what is it that would actually help them at that moment so we don't have to set programs saying look go and pet the rabbits and we go off to the ponies. And, you know, it'd be kind of really feeling, trying to get a feel for what it is that would help them. So, um yeah, so we run all sorts of different programs and activities here.
1: Uh, and, you, and you run the... It is a company, of course, and it, it needs to charge for its services, but you run it as a social enterprise, which means all the money right. goes back into the service to, to enhance
8: the service. Absolutely, yeah. And we, we were thinking about well it would be set up as a charity for we we thought long and hard about it really and i took advice on it and all that and uh, it's just the big struggling point is that it it is it costs money to run a charity just as an institution so we would have to raise that money first of all and then still overheads would have to be covered you know all the animal feed and all that you know even charities have to pay out staff, and you know it would still be an issue so if so that's why I went for the social enterprise setup where we do charge, but um, we try to kind of link into government funding whenever we can. So for for um, example, we run programs funded through the Department of Education or through TUSLA um, and other organizations, and then we can assure ensure that the overheads are all, all covered at the end of the day because you know people come here and they spend a good time and then they go home and we still have costs you know the animals sure don't stop eating
1: uh, it's it's <laughs> a day it's a day service you're offering there, there's no accommodation or anything you're not staying for the whole weekend no, or
8: isn't like overnight no not yet anyway okay
1: i didn't yeah. realize this but I'm, I'm told that therapeutic riding promotes strength balance and good posture uh, confidence, coordination and flexibility because it focuses on gaining benefits from the unique neuromuscular stimulation whilst riding and handling the horse.
8: Oh, it's quite fascinating. It's absolutely stunning when you experience it and it works slightly differently for everybody because we're all individuals of course and you know you can't say oh it's just like that it's quite different from riding as a sport you know where you would really try to kind of improve and progress and all that and maybe go to competitions or something so uh, the therapeutic riding has to focus of again you know benefiting the person so that could be just sitting on the horse and being carried or actually maybe picking up some basic riding skills or doing games and activities on horseback because the great thing about sitting on a horse is that most people find it very very relaxing taken that sporty element away of you know faster better higher whatever you know if you just sit on the horse and tune in with that movement it actually does something to our body that can be very very deeply uh, relaxing and it can regulate our nervous system as well so that could be either stimulating it or it could be calming it down so, and that, of course, has a great knock-on effect then on our brain, because if we are more relaxed, our brain is more relaxed, it reduces stress, we are more open to learning, um, our stress levels go down, which improves our physical health, so it works on so many different levels. It's working,
1: yeah, it's, it's an intriguing uh, enterprise, I think. It's, it's it's all new on me, so I'm learning a lot here. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you, you, you've put out a call for volunteers, and you're running children's camps as well, are you?
8: that's right so uh, we well we only started and um, back in 2013 I started kind of in with a tiny minimal service just to see you know would it work because it was quite a new concept in Ireland that uh, at that time still so and then it grew and grew and grew and now we run uh, children's camps we run summer provision we run adults' groups training courses all sorts so and of course you know we need people to help us and we're, we're very, very grateful. I mean, over the years, so many people have given their time and energy to help us with the camp and um, just, you know, helping with the children or tacking up the horse or, you know, closing gates sure. after our groups, and that kind of thing. So and it's a, it's a very, very re- rewarding work. So, so it's rewarding I, I all around it's
1: a, it's a win-win for everybody really for the ah, for so the volunteers I, I, I and for those think. gaining benefit from the service. Uh, I've I've publicised many yeah. many good things and good companies and and lots of good ventures but I've never uh, ever publicised something quite as unique as Harry Henry Horse disability therapy service.
8: Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, and we, I mean, see, we try to improve our services all the time. That's the nature of a social enterprise, you know, to always go with what's the demand, what's the need out there in the community, and then try to meet that by improving and developing. So what we just did, and I don't know if I have another couple of minutes just to mention that, um, I took one of my therapy horses just recently, end of March, and I set off. I went all the way up to County Cavan, and we rode across Ireland uh, because we needed to do a fundraiser, because we needed a, a barn to have a bit of shelter from the wind and rain. So we said, why don't we just ride for a long time <laughs> to, to raise awareness for our Go, GoFundMe campaign? So we did what we called the Harry Henry Homeward Bound Tour. And uh, it took us about two and a half weeks. And we rode all the way from County Cavan back to County Cork. And it was just, it was an absolutely epic trip and people were so generous and it was just fantastic. And we raised a lot of money, not quite, we haven't reached quite our target yet, but the GoFundMe is still going. So it's, you know, people want to look us up for free. But um, so what we have now also is a small indoor space so that it does, you know, in West Cork, it does rain in summer as well. <laughs> Unfortunately, so. How can um, people get in touch have, with
1: you, Sandra, if they want to avail of your services?
8: Oh, um, we have a website at uh, www.harryhenry.com and we're on Facebook
1: as well if you look us up so you, you can't really miss us we are you won't there, forget that one? So. www.hairyhenry.com Sandra, thanks and uh, every every best wish for your therapeutic riding service in Ballylicky in West Cork Thank, Thank you very much Thanks, Thank cheers you. Okay. Bye
9: thanks. for Bye-bye now.
1: now I'm going to take one more caller before we go for a break and that is Hannah Good morning, Hannah
9: Good morning, Nick How
1: are you? I'm very good You were at the protest march uh, over the last week I was, week. Uh, I was. Uh, Tell me about your, your daughter 18 months old
9: Yes and our daughter has life-limited condition. She has global um, development delays. She's non-verbal, no movement, peg-fed. She's around the clock um, medicine, feeding, you name it. She has this, you know. Okay.
1: And who's looking after
9: her? I am, you know. And um, we do have some HSC home package for night nursing. But that has not been filled since me left home last October and is daily, weekly, monthly phone call, text, email, begging, asking, where are the nurses? Like, we'll be we listening to the show and I don't think finance, money, funding is the issue. Like you said yourself, it's management. Management of those money is the issue. HHC is throwing money at these care agencies, hoping they will solve the problem. Our tax money is going towards these fundings. HSC is giving the home care agency those monies, and they're not sending out the nurses. It's our problem.
1: Okay, how how long do you think you have with your your little eighteen month old?
9: We don't know. That's the million dollar question we have asked. Like, are our energy and time spent fighting for her rights? She could be gone next year. And all we have is precious time. We just had to think every day is today is her time. You know.
1: Yeah. But you you, it, yeah, you want to spend quality yeah. time with her, but you also want to spend better quality time if she was, if 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 her yeah. rights you know, that you're fighting for were fulfilled yeah. for you.
9: Absolutely, you know. And everyone's stories is very similar from the, from the march on Friday, and it's, it's so emotional listening to other people going through the same thing for much longer than we have been. People, their kids are much older than Mila, but it is it's heartbreaking to hear as well, you know. But also to know we're not alone, it is, it's disgraceful that everyone's been put through, you know.
1: In an ideal world, what services would you avail of and what services does Mila need?
9: Mila needs what's granted, promised to her from HSE Home Nursing filled six nights a week is what we were promised. Ideally, yes, we love those. Also, there's no special need preschool available in Cork except charity-run child vision. So we'll have nowhere to go. That's run by HSC or anywhere to go at all in this case, but child vision coming to next year September. We have no respite care. Uh, There is respite service for children over six years of age in Cork, but no one under six, so we have no respite care. Okay. Obviously, equipment and things like that, like many other people said before us, you know, but those are very minor things compared. I suppose it's not minor, it's her safety issue too, you know, but Hmm. in in, in scale of things, you know.
1: So where where do you go from here? Just keep trying?
9: Oh, we're not stopping. We just have to keep trying. Like, you know, everyday phone call, text, and we have no privacy. So sure, we have come out to radio station pleading for help. You know, we had to go on march. Like everybody knows, our business now in court. You know, but anything for Mila. You know, we keep going oh. till we get there. You know.
1: Okay, we haven't given too many details away. Well, we know your <laughs> name. We people
9: know her name is Mila. Uh, people know. And we're, people we're, know. But well, we're okay with this. You what, know. what is the accent? You know? uh, we're from Taiwan. Oh, I'm from Taiwan. Apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So. Like people know I'm, I'm very involved and, and we'll we try to fight not just for our daughter but for all the children you know, everyone has their rights, their basic rights human rights, you know.
1: Yeah, it looks as though you'll be marching a bit more than once a year according to, yeah. to, to the organisers yeah, until, we will, we will until some, something is achieved and, and of course every case is individual every child has individual needs uh, it's yeah. just in general, the, uh, the level of support doesn't seem to be there at agency level yeah.
9: No, and her obviously seeing physio once a month, publicly to the, you know, just nowhere near their needs, you know, but you heard this all before, but for Mila it's her home care nursing is priority for us, you know, cause okay. her a life limited condition cause she, she could stop breathing, you know, and then it's just, we're all forever on the clock watching her like, you know, okay. um, but I just want to say like we're, we're complaining the system it's H C the system we're complaining. We have met so many individual, wonderful staff throughout the year. And they're amazing, you know, and they work so hard. They give us their best. You know, it's the system we're complaining.
1: You know. Well said. That's that's probably the hub of the whole issue. The, the because the kernel here uh, is that there are people at their wit's end, giving the best services they can within they are, the confines of the tired, system.
9: and they're tired. They're burnout. You know, and they uh, you know, listen to parents complaining to them. It's not their fault. You know, it's. And that's what they. That's
1: what they deal with every single day.
9: Oh, absolutely. You know, and then like. The, the small things, like can I just say the guard venting system, it just makes no sense for our nurses to transfer from one from one agency to another. They had to be guard vented through again and again and again. Why shouldn't be? It just small things like that could be just done annually. If someone applied for guard venting it should be done.
1: So the, right. the, the guard eventing must be done if they if they change disciplines, if they change agencies or whatever. Uh, it, exactly,
9: it, or, or it, it doesn't job. stand
1: for a year or two years that you're a no, good character. It okay. That's it's that seems necessary. like needless bureaucracy. But Hannah, th- yeah. th- thank you on behalf of Mila for thank you.
10: Uh, for thank fighting
1: you. her cause, uh, her cause in the air. You were at the march. Uh, you, you definitely don't have enough resources, and I, I feel for you because you're you're torn every day between the need to spend quality time with uh, with Mila, who has a uh, it's a life limiting condition, and uh, al- also the the need to do for her, uh, well, a parent yeah. would, would do, which is to fight for the services she needs. Thanks, yes. thanks Hannah, for coming on. Thanks,
9: Vic. Thanks. thanks.
1: thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye now. Coming up on 24 minutes after 11 now.
0: This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Gork's Red FM.
1: And a very good morning to you. Our phone number is 0818-104-106. And uh, our text is 086-8104-106. Uh, so uh, just to give those details again, it's the hairy horse, uh, sorry, hairy Henry Horse Disability Therapy Service, uh, www.harryhenry.com. Two other texts to the programme, and uh, uh, I don't feel safe in the city anymore day or night. Uh, are these migrant-related uh, uh, attacks by groups uh, on young Irish youths? That's the first I've heard of that one. The government want our country thrown into a third world, says another texture. Uh, and sticking with the negativity. Uh, when you make the city an empty and quiet place suitable for unscrupulous and somewhat questionable characters to hang around because of the lack of people in the city, it's not that shocking. Assaults are doubling because the system cannot keep up with arrests. There's a serious backlog. It's got nothing to do with lockdown. The prisons are full and the courts are jammers already. And uh, when you have criminal scumbags in government, their values and morals are reflected on the street and throughout society or what passes for it these days at large. That's uh, a fairly heavy one. Uh, let's take a little bit of music. We don't play much music on the program at this. Uh, as Bono has uh, announced that he's releasing his memoirs and all of the chapters will be called after um, after you 2 songs. I wonder, will this be the first chapter? One. <laughs> That's you 2 from the early 90s album called Octung Baby, uh, which was recorded in the Hansa Studios in Berlin as the Berlin Wall was coming down. Great album as well. Uh, that is one from Bono and U2. want to give a mention to Glenmar Community College, uh, GCC. Uh, last week they welcomed a new four-legged friend uh, and a fluffy worker has joined their staff. We have Harry Henry, but what about... A dog. When you're having a bad day, apparently what's better than rubbing a dog? Well, the secondary school in Cork has welcomed its latest staff member, a gorgeous two-year-old Labrador Golden Retriever mix named Alma. Uh, Matt's teacher and Alma's handler, Caroline Byrne, says that having Alma around has already made a huge difference at the school since she started work, yes, work, Last Tuesday, or Tuesday week on the 25th of April, Cork City gets a new wheelchair-accessible sensory garden for kids and adults as well. And uh, Alma was trained up as a guide dog, explained Caroline, but some dogs have body sensitivity, so they can be uncomfortable wearing a harness. uh, Or in the case of assistance dogs, wearing a heavier coat. So Alma's a community dog here at the school, and is predominantly working to reduce stress and anxiety among students post-COVID. So congrats and uh, welcome to the staff, Alma. Uh, to, uh, an anxiety dog, I suppose, but uh, certainly they're uh, and offering happiness and therapy, and uh, best wishes to everybody in Glenmire Community College. Martin's on line one. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, Mick. Now, you recently went for a consultation.
11: I did indeed, yeah. I, I actually went for a treatment for um, a, d-
1: a dental, is it?
11: Correct. For some fillings, and I knew I knew going in that I needed two fillings minimum and a possible extraction, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and what happened?
7: Uh, well, basically,
11: uh, the, a procedure was started to do the most important filling and um, when, the, when the remainder of the old filling was being removed...
1: Martin, there's a terrible time. beeping in the background. Could you move around a little? I don't know, is it your phone or is there an alarm going off or something?
11: Sorry there, I forgot my belt. Um, anyway, I was told that there was a crack on the internal wall of the tooth. And the procedure couldn't uh, couldn't go further because I would need uh, a consultation from um, from another party to see if the dentist what options were open to the dentist. So I got a phone call to go for a consultation on the 9th of June, and I said, "Fine, I'll go there." How much would that be? 150 euro. And if I need a root canal treatment, what's the damage on that? 950. Uh, so I'm just asking the question, how is your general, general, the general average working man supposed to come up with this kind of money um, when you run into that kind of a situation? And
1: is know? this PRSI assisted?
11: All you'll get on PRSI dental, wise, I think you're, you're only entitled to two cleanings a year to the value of 15 euros a cleaning. Mm-hmm. So there's, no,
1: there's nothing else. Yeah, so you're going in for a 100 euros filling, the procedure started, your tooth was ready for the filling, and the usual drilling everybody hates, of course, uh, went on. But then you were told you had a crack on the inside, and the procedure had to right. stop. So they couldn't, are uh, they saying they couldn't uh, do the filling?
11: Well, they said that they, they didn't know whether the tooth could be saved or not, and to find that out, I had to go to some other consultants who I was referred to by this dentist. A phone call was made on my behalf by the dentist. I got the following call later. To ask me to come on the ninth of June, one fifty for the consultation, and if a root canal treatment is needed, nine hundred
1: and fifty. So you kind of have to have um, this have have to have this money aside and have it ready, don't you?
11: Yeah, but like I'm just asking the question, like, and I understand one hundred percent. These are professional people, and you know they do a terrific job. But there's no caps or controls on the costs that are being dished out to people for dental. Um. And I'm surely not the only one in this co- with this conundrum, you know.
1: Yeah, so the whole lot's going to cost you what fifteen hundred, two grand. Um,
11: I suppose minimum, and after that, I know that I need two crowns afterwards, and a crown is probably fifteen hundred a pop.
1: And so that's going to be you're looking at five grand then, I guess. E-
11: easily, yeah,
5: easily.
1: It's not so a high price I'm to far- pay for a, for a healthy. Uh, you know, for a healthy mouth, health, health, healthy teeth. That's what we're getting by text here. Is that a fair assertion? Five grand? It, it depends if you, if you can afford the five grand, I guess.
11: Listen, all, all, the question I'm asking, Nick, is, where you know, who pulls the prices out of the air for dental work? You know, it seems to be the prices just seem to be given to you in this story. There's no... there's no. I imagine
1: the, the price day. would be pretty standard if you, if you went to two or three dentists. You'd probably get in and around the same price that's probably set by their own association. So where are you going to go from here, Martin?
11: Uh, Well, I thought outside the box. I rang my VHI. I knew I hadn't covered my VHI policy. So um, I took out a dental policy for 30 euros a month, which will, after three months, cover the fillings and the extraction. And if I go forward for the crown, they will cover... But you have to wait twelve months for the crown cover. But they will cover eight hundred per crown. But even by covering eight hundred per crown, you're still probably stuck with another eight nine thousand euros for the balance of that job.
1: But that that does seem like good value. Thirty a month for your ongoing dental insurance.
11: Yeah, Yeah, the value on the the dental insurance value is good. But you know, you're still you're still having to cop up probably fifty percent of the value of the crowns. When the time comes, you
1: know. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess that's. I'm just I'm just making
11: the point, like, for the average working man. Maybe I'm wrong. That
1: that pricing is reach, Like, mm. well, let's put it out there. Um, our phone line oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six, or by text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. If you have had uh, very high pricing from dentists, I know it's a very expensive treatment, uh, and I know that uh, orthodontists uh, are, are also uh, um, providing services which can. Uh, be anything but cheap, but they're providing worthwhile services. So if you have any experience uh, of very high pricing in the area, uh, please do get in touch with us. Uh, Martin, for now, thank you very much.
11: Not to bother, me. thank you.
1: Thanks, cheers. And by text on 0868 104106, Mick, you've probably heard this over and over again, how come our government can find millions to resolve issues that are external to this country, or find millions for penis implants uh, on the HSE? Yet when it comes to funding for children with disabilities in Ireland, they plead the poor mouth No funds available. It's nothing short of discrimination against our own kids. This government should hang their heads in shame, but they won't because they do not care. So says Sean. Now, the topic of coal also raised uh, the ire of uh, a few people and uh, got some comments in. All those houses with no fireplaces will be putting in wood-burning stoves in the future, says one texter. Hi, Mick. 22 years ago, the houses in Pembroke Wood in Passage West were built with no chimneys, and people couldn't believe it uh, and laughed at them and how things have changed I'm a loyal listener and love the program. Another texter said, have a look at Michael Healy Ray's video on this carbon tax rubbish. It's on his Facebook uh, page. It's a scam. Smokeless coal is very smoky, for God's sake. I was sent one yesterday of Danny Healy Ray giving out about the Russian ambassador. And we should get a good hold to him. Uh, a good hold to him. Uh, and not let him leave the country. Uh, You'll probably find that on YouTube if you're uh, interested there. And uh, make in relation to coal, introducing smokeless coal is crazy as it doesn't produce enough heat to get back boilers or stoves circulating. This government cannot ban a product uh, without providing an adequate substitute. Somebody else told me that uh, all of the dairy herds in the country are producing much more harmful emissions uh, than all of the... uh, the cars and lorries on the road. I'm open for correction on that one, or for some enlightenment, but that's a crazy statistic if it's uh, if it's true in the first place. It's 20 minutes to 12 now.
0: The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818 104 106.
1: And at 17 minutes to 12, we move to a different topic completely, and to Toastmasters, which I imagine uh, is often misinterpreted. But the mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive and positive learning experience in which members are empowered to develop communication and leadership skills resulting in greater self-confidence and personal growth. And I'm joined uh, in studio by Paul O'Mahony, who's the president of Blarney Toastmasters. Uh, sorry, Ted Malamfy is president of Blarney Toastmasters, and Paul O'Mahony accompanies him as well. You're welcome, gentlemen. Sorry about that, Mr. President. Thank
12: you very much. Uh, it's good to be much.
10: here. It's okay, good to be here.
1: Now, are people suffering from um, associating
10: Toastmasters with something elitist? Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Toastmasters is is for everyone, no matter how much money you have, no matter how good you are at talking, no matter how confident you are at influencing other people. We're actually open to everyone. But I'd say some people even think that you have to have some kind of qualification to join. And that's not true. And you also can be a very good speaker and join as well as be somebody who's scared out of their wits. So we're open to helping everyone. Okay,
1: so before we go into it in a little more detail, um, let's have uh, a listen uh, to when Kevin sat in on your meeting to hear what it's all about. Uh, our Toastmasters package from, from Kevin. Have a listen. Let's go, girls. <laughs>
3: Well that's quite enough of Shania Twain. Shania and I go a long way back and I'm going to explain to you why and why it matters
10: to you. This evening this is an opportunity for you to be with us at the 970th, 970th meeting of Blarney Toastmasters Club, a club that was founded in the first month of 1975. Where were we, Marcus, today? We were in India. We were in... Qatar. Oh, we were in Qatar, right. Okay, we were in Qatar, Marcus and I, and Marcus is coming to us this evening from Vancouver. The next uh, role we have in the meeting is the role of grammarian. I'm going to invite uh, the club president, Ted Malanfi, to tell us why do we have the role of the grammarian? How is he going to play it this
12: evening? Ted, the stage is yours. Thank you, Mr. Toastmaster. Well, you can see a word over my head, ladies and gentlemen. And this is something that the grammarian does. He introduces a word of the day. And the word that I'm introducing now is doughty. It's an adjective. And it would mean resolute, brave and determined and I think that fits in nice.
10: I'd like to invite distinguished Toastmaster Sonia Munrose, all the way from St. Lucia, a really, really good friend of mine. You are the R-Counter, Sonia. What does an R-Counter do? Why do we have it and how will you do it?
9: Thank you, Paul. Good day, for Toastmasters. It's a pleasure to be here with you
10: in the Lany Toastmasters Club. The uh, slot in the evening's proceedings. And this is where we have a person who has prepared something specially for us. This evening, the speech of Nick Lacani will be evaluated by Moira O'Brien. Moira, would you like, as Nick's evaluator, to tell us what is the purpose of Nick's speech this evening? How long ago since you gave him the title of his speech?
12: Oh, it was it was circa three hundred seconds ago. do about that, Paul. As in five minutes ago. Five minutes to prepare so, his speech so five minutes
10: ago our evaluator who will be evaluating and tell me
12: first of all what's the name of the speech the name of the speech that jerry is going to um provide us with tonight um the speech is this is why you should love scotland and i would accept the responsibility of inviting you all to love my native country but it's not easy because Scotland, on a number of levels, is a country of contradiction. I am aware that a few years ago, Scotland, in the very same month, won the accolade of being the friendliest city in Europe and also Glasgow, the murder capital of the Western Hemisphere. I can only assume that Glaswegians would stab you and then offer to take you to the hospital.
7: I like the the humour, that got me smiling about the... kind of dark humour about the stabbing, and you know,
12: it's from somebody. And then they'll take you to the hospital from a Glasgow person, you know. I got smiling as well. I think, however, your body language could be improved on slightly because you simply really get a point across this way But maybe somewhere along the line... I don't know. I'm not giving best examples. But somewhere in your speech, you can really make it more... Full of a little bit more character. So thank you all for coming to this meeting tonight. And I look forward to seeing you all on the 24th.
1: Sounds like great fun there. Uh, People are put to the test a little bit, are they?
12: A little bit put to the test. You are challenged. There's no doubt about that. But at every meeting, you improve. And you heard on that little package there... You heard a, an evaluator. So this is where you do your learning in Toastmasters. Mm. Okay. You, you prepare a speech, it's evaluated, and, and you're encouraged to go on to do the next one.
1: Okay, so if you were looking for new members, who would you be appealing to today? Those who are maybe having to do an upcoming speech at a wedding, those who want to or don't feel they can stand comfortably in front of a crowd, uh, those who might be going for an interview... Um, Who would it be?
12: You've hit the nail on the head there, Mick. People who would be going for an interview, people who may be a little bit reticent about speaking in public, anybody, particularly the the readership and the listenership that you have, Uh we'd be looking. That is the age bracket we would be looking for. And we look for all age brackets. So we're happy with anyone. You could be a bus conductor. Well, you can't be a bus conductor, no. You could be a bus driver. <laughs> you could be a train driver. You could be a road sweeper. You could be a surgeon. You have all different types mm. of people within Toastmasters. And that's the beauty of it.
10: Mm.
1: As I found when I was doing, uh, you know, discos way back 30 years ago, I loved standing in front of a crowd and loved getting them, you know, coordinating an event or a wedding to the end. Uh, And then as I got involved in radio, um, I became very self-conscious, maybe, uh, standing up in front of a crowd. Uh, And I could talk to a million people in a radio station Mm -hmm. if I was sitting here on my own. But if I'm uh, making a speech at a wedding or something like that, I kind of freeze.
12: And it happens. You're not unique there. They say 70% of the world's population are terrified of making a speech. In actual fact, there's, there's a nice little analogy or a nice little saying. They say that. The person who's so afraid of making the speech, he nearly preferred to be in the coffin rather than giving the eulogy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> very good. Yeah, I came across one very good thing in, where, where the, uh, a Canadian girl marrying an Irish uh, friend of mine uh, had a wedding MC. And the wedding MC took all of the duties away from the uh, the best man and allowed the best man to concentrate on what he's going to be remembered for, which is the best man's speech. So, they, you know, they kind of coordinated everything through the MC. Hmm. Paul O'Mahony, what, what has Toastmasters brought to you or done for you?
10: Oh, it's given me terrific opportunity to practice talking to people like you <laughs> or, or anybody else for that matter, you know, because I I was in England for 30 years and I wasn't in Toastmasters at all. And it wasn't until 2015, what's that, about nearly seven years ago, I uh, I joined, I just went along and I found that it, the thing that got me in actually, tell you the truth make, is that uh, they were so blooming friendly so um supportive, even if I have to say, even if you weren't particularly good, you came out with your head up high, given great praise and support, because no matter how good or even how bad you are today, it's what you're going to do the next time that matters, so if you're terribly good, you can get a bit better if you're Scared as Ted was talking about there, and you'd prefer not be there at all. Look, even if you say a few words, the next time you'll say a few more. So yeah, yeah terrific. Yeah. I've I've got a great face for radio. You've got a great voice for radio. Do you fancy a start? I do actually. I've been a podcaster since two thousand and eight. Oh really? Oh yeah. I do a lot of a lot of. But look, here we're not here to talk about. Me. I know.
1: Uh, but look, it, I'm just remarking. You you you're both comfortable at the microphone,
10: which I think oh, is yeah. one of the. Mm. Yeah,
12: That's true, yeah.
10: Actually, it's one of the things you can do in Toastmasters, by the way. We have a... The the big thing is the education system we have. We have a huge education program. People think it's all about going to meetings, but actually it's a bit like uh, you get access to something that's a bit like a university education uh, because it's online, all there Mm -hmm. for you. And one of the projects you have in there is setting up your own podcast. So it shows you because you go into it hmm. and get all the material and advice how to do a podcast. And then what you do in a Toastmasters club is you come along, you say a few minutes, three minutes speech about your own podcast, and then you play 10-minute extract.
1: Okay. That's, uh, that sounds very interesting. Is it, would it be fair to say, then, that the title Toastmasters doesn't really do justice to the scope of activities and benefits that can be gained do, yeah. through membership?
12: i agree with you, Mick. In actual fact... Toastmasters International is exactly what it is an international communications organization. Yes, we're very weak as promoting ourselves, mm-hmm. promoting it as an organization. It's an incredible organization and as Paul said, you actually get a university education and the beauty of it is that you learn by doing. So all your learning is subliminal and you're 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 downloading it every time and every time you're You give a speech or you give an evaluation. You're learning all the time. And Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of it. For about 100 euros a year.
1: Tell me about uh, your table topics. Is this sort of a...
12: table topics is a fun part of the meeting. This is where you're really challenged... You're, you, you're, you're going to be given a topic no you don't know you're going to get the topic the topic might be off the top of you're your head you, you, you're yeah, tempting, I'm tempting me you're tempting me I'm tempting you I'm tempting you yeah. I might give you a topic Mick you'd uh, never know oh please if don't if I was to say to you what is the beauty of being a, a, a Red FM um, microphone expert or do they call them my, my, my jockeys or something like that or
1: uh, what disc <laughs> jockeys disc uh.
12: jockey yeah disc jockey so if I was to give you that as a table topic and you'd have to have two minutes timing yeah. is very important so okay. that you'll have topics like that thrown at you
1: I don't know I only, I've only got two two minutes let's say 60 o- seconds o- then okay. if I was to right. give you which one of you wants to take the challenge
12: both of us we'll take one if you want alright
1: uh, let me uh, pick a topic um, uh, home is where the heart is
12: home is certainly where the heart is Mick I'm so lucky to have been born in Ireland But even more than that, I live in a place called Waterloo, by the grace of God. And my heart will definitely be there, whether I'm alive or whether I'm dead. Have you ever been to Waterloo, Mick?
1: I have, actually, yes.
12: Waterloo is one of the most beautiful, spectacular, scenic areas that you can ever wish to meet, to go to. And we have a small community out there called the Waterloo Renewal Group. And some of the work that we do out there is... It's 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 not work, it's it's what we love to do.
10: Oh, you're good. Do you ever think of going into politics? <laughs> he's already in politics. You know that he's here trying to persuade people to join Toastmasters. It seems like a good fun, uh, happening thing to do. So it's uh, you meet twice a month, and you're still meeting virtually, though, are you? Oh yeah, and we're look, we we discovered that when we are online. We were able to attract because we're Blarney Club, you see. That's right. a handy name if you're trying to get people to to join you from other places, you yeah, know. Unless it's a new postmaster, because it's not just it's not just any old name. It's a gift of the gab country. Become yes. world champion of public speaking type. If you kiss oh, the so Blarney Stone, so
1: oh, yeah? you, you must have Toastmaster clubs wanting
10: to visit because of oh
12: yes, oh and yeah, we yeah. have people from all over the world. Give it? them a rub of the green, is it? Oh, yeah, but, we have, yeah. but we
10: have but uh, we have people in Cork City too as a member. You see, so you can uh, you can be living in Cork, and you can uh, join Blarney Toastmasters, and if it suits you, we meet on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month at eight o'clock. But for example, if you are already committed to doing something else on a Tuesday, and you can never make Tuesday, there are clubs that meet on Wednesdays, Thursdays. I
1: meet virtually, so you don't have to travel. Uh, virtually,
10: yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a great thing.
1: Okay. Uh, we, we, uh, I need to wrap it up there. So how, how can, uh, people get in touch with you? How can people join? How can people maybe dip in, uh, you know, without any obligation? Can, you, can you dip in the first one for free? That's a great yeah?
12: question. Oh, yeah, definitely. You're entitled to come to a couple of meetings and there's no charge whatsoever. But if you want to get in touch with us, even if you want to Google Blarney Toastmasters, you will be given contact details, you will be given telephone numbers, you'll be given email addresses, and that's, probably the easiest way to get in touch with us
1: gentlemen it's been a pleasure thank you very much for enlightening me on what Toastmasters is all about
12: and thank you Mick it's yeah, been it's a, a pleasure with you too sir Thank, thank you, yeah,
1: Mick I hope you join oh you never know yeah that's the Neil Prendival show for today the programme was produced by uh, Kevin Galvin by Seamus Wheelahan and uh, by Clara Connor. I'm back tomorrow after the news at 9 o'clock news at midday next
6: thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content